Well, hello, and welcome to this special episode of Pick 6 Movies. Never let it be said that we don't deliver the bang for your internet buck. Here it is, another holiday season. And it isn't just the death of all living things and the darkening cold skies before life eventually returns in March. It turns out that they put a whole holiday at the end of the year. Now, whichever of these holidays you celebrate, or even none of the above, we're happy you're here. This is, of course, Pick 6 Movies, and I'm Bo Ransdell. Along with my pal Chad Cooper, a guy I've known for about 40 years now, we select a theme for a season and then discuss six movies based around that theme. We call this season Once in a Lifetime. We're taking a closer look at a number of movies from the vast library of movies produced by the Lifetime Television Network. Now, as a podcast that specializes in bad and inscrutable movies, it's a bit like finding the Well of Souls. To put a cap on our run of holiday films from the Lifetime Network, we have listened to you, our Pick 6 audience, who were adamant that we take a look at the holiday stalker comedy thriller, Dear Santa. So we did. And you were right. So, have some eggnog, or you know, just the bourbon you're disguising with nog, and settle in for one of the oddest films we've ever discussed on Pick 6 Movies. Happy holidays, everybody. Now here's Chad to make us all a little bit smarter, whether we like it or not. <clears throat> all right, let's um, let me get my headsets. Hi, you are you Adam? Uh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, ma- Merry Christmas. You're our our intern this season. Welcome, welcome. I understand your father works with Bo. Is that right? Okay, so where are you? Where are you going to college? Uh, you know, a lot of people take semesters off. You know, uh, it's it's good to kind of find yourself. What uh, what are you studying in school? That's interesting. I had a minor in math and computer shit when I went to college, too. So, you know, welcome to the Pick 6 Movies podcast family for a season. I'm sure you'll be quite something, Adam. Um, I've got my intro for Dear Santa ready to go. Have you seen this movie yet? I guess you can get the gist of it by reading about it on IMDb. Um I recommend you watch the movie. It's truly one of the most heartwarming documentaries that I've seen all year. And 2020 was a tough one. And this movie really delivers the warmth and kindness that I think everybody could use just to sort of get you in the Christmas spirit. So um, let's go ahead and record on the computer in there. Um, Everything should be set up. It looks like we're already recording. I just need you to click on the the red button uh on the screen to start the music. It's yeah, it's the it's the it's the red one. The red the red one. The 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 one that's red. Yeah, that's it. Did you ever write a letter to Santa Claus? Do you remember what you asked for? Hey Adam, uh, these questions are part of the introduction. You don't need to answer them. Yeah. Will you restart the music and then you can edit this or somebody will edit this out a little bit later. Yeah, you just need to click the red button again. Same one you did last time. Thanks, buddy. Did you ever write a letter to Santa Claus? Do you remember what you asked for? Did you compliment the big guy? Did you do that move where you ask about Mrs. Claus and maybe the reindeer or the elves? Did you keep it simple or are you one of those kids that just asks for everything you can imagine? Well, for a lot of children, 
The act of writing a letter to Santa Claus is a memorable, magical experience. Choosing the right type of paper best suited for such an important letter. Plain or lined? Do you write in pencil or something more permanent like crayon? Should you draw a picture of your requested gift for reference or add any other visual aids, perhaps cutting out a picture of the toy from a catalog and then taping it to the letter to make sure there's no room for misunderstanding? Do you include a self-portrait of you being nice to your siblings or maybe helping your parents out around the house? This is all the kind of stuff that weighs on a kid as each letter, each word, each visual detail all contribute to the likelihood of you getting your Christmas wish fulfilled. But surprisingly, way back in the 1800s, children didn't write letters to Santa Claus. It was Santa Claus that wrote letters to children. Early on, Santa wasn't such a holly jolly fella, sucking down bottles of Coca-Cola and handing out presents left and right in a red suit filled with holiday cheer. He was quite a different character in his youthful days. The very first commissioned image of St. Nicholas in the United States was by the New York Historical Society in 1810, and St. Nick was a frightening spectacle to behold. Dressed in his ecclesiastical getup with a switch in one hand, standing next to a crying child. And one of the first times that Santa Claus showed up in a picture book, he didn't improve that much more. It showed him leaving a birch rod in a naughty kid's stocking, which he directs a parent's hand to use when virtue's path his sons refuse. Good God. Santa was a figure who encouraged good behavior by letting children know the beatings will continue until morale improves. To really drive this home, Santa Claus started writing letters directly to children, letting them know that there is more where that came from, and you should stop crying before I give you something to really cry about. Ho, ho, ho. Early letters from Santa Claus were intended to get kids back in line. Morality through bribery, or maybe morality through intimidation. Come on, it was puritanical times. Fanny Longfellow, <laughs> wife of poet Henry Wadsworth, well, she sat down and she penned three letters to her kids and commented on how the children had behaved over the past year and what they could do to stay or get onto Santa's nice list. In 1853, Fanny Longfellow wrote in one of her letters, You have picked up some naughty words which I hope you will throw away as you would sour a bitter fruit. Try to stop to think before you use any. And remember, if no one else hears you, God is always near. Yeah, I wonder where they picked up that salty language, Fanny. Maybe you need a letter from St. Nick yourself and maybe a bar of soap to wash out your potty mouth. Now you gotta remember, all this went down back when childhood wasn't a celebrated time of imagination and fun and where every kid was continually told how they're the best thing in the world. Parents crammed kids' heads full of Old Testament fear of God along with all other sorts of questionable social norms. 
these letters from Santa Claus were left on the hearth of a fireplace because these letters from Santa Claus, they traveled by way of chimney. And soon children began to write back, leaving their letters in the same spot for a return trip back to St. Nick. One assumes filled with pleas to receive fewer sticks with which to get beaten by their parents and instead possibly asking for more oranges or walnuts or whatever kids in the 1800s wanted. During the Civil War, postal workers began to deliver letters to urban centers, and America found that receiving a letter was a nice experience and not necessarily something that threatened physical harm to children at Christmas time. As more mail began to be exchanged during the Civil War, the price to mail a letter dropped and parents were kind of cool with paying for a stamp so that their children's letters could actually be mailed to Santa Claus. And it was the mail carrier who was the middleman between children's holiday hopes and dreams and Santa Claus himself. Using the postal service to reach Santa Claus started out as something unique to the United States. Uh, Over in Scotland, children just stuck their head in the chimney and shouted their wishes up into the air. That's, you know, one way to do it. Kids across Europe, they left out stockings or shoes and just kind of crossed their fingers and hoped for the best. But in the good old U.S. of A., an illustrator for Harper's Weekly magazine changed traditions in the U.S. when it came to Christmas wish fulfillment. American-German cartoonist Thomas Nast's illustrations changed the history of writing letters to Santa Claus forever. And that was after he helped to end slavery and fight political corruption in New York. When the Civil War broke out, Thomas Nast was a major supporter of the Union, and he used his cartoons to oppose slavery, finding that being on the right side of history is the best place to be. President Abraham Lincoln himself referred to Nast as our best recruiting sergeant due to the popularity and impact of his illustrations depicting the evils of slavery and the benefits of abolition. Following the Civil War, Nast's attention turned to political corruption, where his political cartoons were credited with taking down New York's political machine led by Boss Tweed. But all of Nast's work didn't focus on social or political issues. Case in point, one particular cartoon showed Santa Claus sitting at his desk with two stacks of letters, one small pile of letters to the good children's parents, and a much larger stack of letters to the naughty children's parents. And in this cartoon, Nast also gave out St. Nick's mailing address as Santa Clausville NP, short for North Pole, which gave kids an address to which they could mail their letters. Ha ha! Now kids knew where the big man lived, and the letters started pouring into the United States Post Office, who found themselves in an unexpected situation. What do you do with all these letters? By 1873, newspapers began running stories about letters arriving at the post office across the United States, all addressed to Santa Claus. And sometimes these letters were heartwarming, and at times they were heartbreaking. Newspapers realized the emotional hook of letters to Santa and started publishing the best ones in the paper, even soliciting letters from readers. For kids eager to get their letters in front of Santa Claus, having it printed in the newspaper was even better than sending it to the North Pole. And do you have any idea how many people read the newspaper each day in 1870? That's... You know what, Adam? That's right, Adam. Uh, A shitload of people did read the newspaper back then. 
Um, again, Adam, you don't have to answer the questions that I ask in the introduction. These are really meant to be for the listeners or maybe as rhetorical ideas to consider. Yep. Um, that means they're, they're, they're asked to produce an effect or maybe to make a statement rather than to actually elicit information from the listener. But you know what? Hey, A plus for intern participation, Adam. Where was I? As the popularity of mailing letters to Santa grew, so did the stacks of mail. And the question on hand was, what do we do with all these letters? The United States Post Office, well, they did with the letters to Santa what they did with all other letters that couldn't be delivered. So most of the correspondence to St. Nick went directly to the dead letter office, where they were destroyed. By the early 1900s, the public heard about this and they felt children's wishes shouldn't be treated so dismissively. And so it was that charitable groups and the good old New York Times newspaper stepped in to see if they couldn't find a better way to handle all of these letters other than, you know, burning them. In 1913, a policy change allowed charitable groups to contact local postmasters to take on the task of answering children's letters to Santa Claus. One group in Winchester, Kentucky went so far as to not only answer the letters, but they delivered goodies to the children who wrote to Santa Claus in the form of fruit and candy and firecrackers and Roman candles. That all sounds about right, eh, Kentucky? In Santa Claus, Indiana, the postmaster himself stepped up and answered the city's stack of letters one by one. Wow, he sounds like a really good guy. Over in New York, a custom broker named John Gluck created the Santa Claus Association, which answered tens of thousands of letters each year. This effort attracted the attention of public figures, including John Barrymore and Mary Pickford. The organization raised money to pay for funds to cover gifts for children and delivery postage. They were so successful that they spent $300,000 to purchase a permanent home for the organization known as the Santa Claus Building in Midtown Manhattan. And then, about 15 years after the organization's launch, the founder, John Gluck, was found out to have stolen most of the organization's money, totaling over $700,000. He was never charged with any crimes and retired in Florida. Wow, he sounds like a total dick. The downfall of the Santa Claus Association led the U.S. Post Office to create their own letter-answering organization called Operation Santa Claus which consisted of postal employees who pulled together donations to meet the requests of children's letters. And this organization got worldwide exposure in the climactic scene of 1947's Miracle on 34th Street. And then in 1960, Johnny Carson, over on The Tonight Show, he started reading letters to Santa Claus for needy children, increasing the charity of people seeking to help those in need. And it also helped to promote the idea of children writing letters to Santa Claus. Then, on December 9th, 1965, 45%, almost half of all the people watching televisions in the United States, most of whom were children, saw this. I've been looking for you, big brother. Will you please write a letter to Santa Claus for me? Well, I don't have much time. I'm supposed to get down to the school auditorium and direct a Christmas play. You write it and I'll tell you what I want to say. Okay, shoot. Dear Santa Claus, how have you been? Did you have a nice summer? How is your wife? 
I have been extra good this year. So I have a long list of presents that I want. Oh, brother. Please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, make it easy on yourself. Just send money. How about tens and twenties? Tens and twenties? Oh, even my baby sister. All I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. Writing letters to Santa was part of popular culture and apparently a way to get free cash when you're in a pinch, according to Charlie Brown's sister. Actually, Charles Schultz's animated classic bemoans the commercial nature of Christmas and asks people to focus on the true meaning of the holiday as a time of celebration of the birth of Christ and a time for charity, humanity, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Letters to Santa Claus don't always reflect the selfishness or greed of humanity. In the book Letters to Santa, the letters featured span the spectrum of one's heart's desire for boys and girls and adults, as well as a wide variety of requests. One letter to Santa in 1913 was from a child asking for a glass eye. That's kind of unusual. In the early 20th century, some kids actually asked for coal because they needed warmth for their houses, and they viewed the punishment for some bad kids as their reward for being nice. Adults and children alike write to Santa Claus, asking for people to be healed of illness, family members to find employment, or perhaps, just perhaps, fall in love. Which brings me to a movie that you may have never seen, but you most certainly should. Dear Santa. Dear Santa, I want Ted Buddies for Christmas. I love rabbits. They just filled my heart up with joy. The Christmas season is a little rough. I'm struggling, trying to make a way. We had to move because the fire burned our house. This 11-year-old kid asked for nothing for himself, talked about how loving and awesome his single mother was, and she did the best that she could. The kid is only asking for love. How can you not grab this letter? When people write these letters, they're send it out into the world, message in a bottle type deal. I just feel like it's my duty to bring joy. It would mean so much to me for my kids to have a wonderful Christmas. I'm getting ready to cry now just thinking about it. Like, it's, it will be a blessing. Today we are wrapping presents for 62 letters and 171 people and one cat, Dookie. We're planning for success, but I'm still 25 letters off. It's down to the wire. Go team! We are here together. We are one. Let's have this moment of unity. Delivery from Santa. You'll never know how you benefited someone's life. It's nice to feel remembered and to know that people still care. The independent film channel documentary, Dear Santa, chronicles the work of the United States Post Office and Operation Santa working to make Christmas wishes come true. The documentary will make your heart fill with good tidings. You might shed a tear as you see the best of humanity in action. And actually, I'm a little surprised that this film was selected as part of this season's theme. I'm guessing that it was originally shown on the Lifetime Network or co-produced with IFC. The documentary was directed by... What did you say, Adam? What do you mean it's a different Dear Santa movie? No, this one's from 2020. I didn't watch one from 2011. 
where are your notes on that movie? On this yellow pad? Now I, now I, uh, now I can read your handwriting. You just keep... Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep recording, and um, I'll just wing it. I can go what you have here, and I, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any music that you want to play under this? Yeah, just click click the name of the music track at the, at the bottom, and then click that same red button. Yeah, it's the same red button. Okay. Dear Santa, the movie on the Lifetime Network is the story of a woman who finds a little girl's letter to Santa Claus, reads it, and then goes after the little girl's dad because she thinks he's hot. <laughs> the, little, the little girl's dad has a wife who is dead. The dead wife is also the little girl's mom. This movie is weird. The Lifetime movie Dear Santa stars Amy Acker, who is in a bunch of other stuff like that old movie Catch Me If You Can and some TV show called Angel and some some TV show called Alias, which my dad likes because the chick who was Alias on that show used to be married to Batman and sells credit cards and is super hot. Amy Acker was also in the movie Cabin in the Woods with Thor, and she is kind of hot, but she's not Instagram hot. Adam? Um, <laughs> Adam, what what is your type? That doesn't surprise me. I'm going to continue with your intro notes here. It is uh, more entertaining than I expected. <clears throat> the guy who is her boyfriend in Dear Santa is the actor David Hyde Jones, who was in a show called Supernatural that I never saw, and he was in White House down which was pretty badass it has jamie fox and channing tatum in it the rest of the people in this movie i've never heard of from tv shows and movies i never heard of the guy who directed this movie is jason Priestley from a tv show my mom used to watch called beverly hills 921 <laughs> my my mom said she had a my mom says she had a crush on jason Priestley when she was my age Jason Priestley played a guy called Brandon Walsh, and he also directed some of the episodes of that show, too. He directed episodes of Seventh Heaven, The Secret Secret Life of the American Teenager, and Outer Limits. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, Adam, I am assuming that that was the 1990s era reboot. Well, I'm... Just because you weren't born back then doesn't mean you wouldn't know about it. Moving along. This, <laughs> finished. this movie is written by Barbara Kimlicka, who also wrote the made-for-TV movies Holiday High School Reunion, A Bride for Christmas, Mary in Laws, A Cookie Cutter Christmas, and A Gift-Wrapped Christmas. And then over here on the side, you have big letters WTF question mark. Yeah, I know what that stands for. Dear Santa was filmed in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and some of it was shot in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where my gram-gram lives, but mostly in Canada. Nobody knows how many people watch this movie or how much it cost to make, according to Google. This movie has a 50% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which means half of it is good. I don't think that's how Rotten Tomatoes works, Adam, but I will allow it. Adam, look... This may be the most entertaining introduction I have ever been a part of, and I once time-traveled 
during one of these introductions. So Santa hat off to you. And I must say that I'm excited to watch this terrible movie. And if anybody listening to this intro hasn't seen it, well, stick around. And Bo and I are about to discuss this movie scene for scene to decide if it's any good. Um, I've got to go do notes on this film first. Adam, when is Bo supposed to get here? Okay, that gives me about an hour and 45 minutes to watch this thing. How long is it? Yeah, Adam, we kind of have an unspoken rule around here that nobody uses the that's what she said joke just on principle. So keep that in mind. Um, What is the runtime of this movie? 90 minutes. All right, I got just enough time to prep for the show before Bo gets here. What did what and what is this movie about from the synopsis you read? A soup kitchen ice skater. All right, well, that sounds great. Um, look, so, um, lonely 30-something ladies and hunky gentlemen, I'm guessing. Pick Six Movies presents a special gift to you. Not the 2020 IFC documentary film Dear Santa, as I thought we were going to be discussing. It is the 2011 made-for-TV movie lifetime holiday film Dear Santa. So, I gotta go do notes. What was that? <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't mind if you light up the Christmas tree. Just do it outside. No, I won't tell your dad you're getting high. But you're going to need to edit all of this out before the episode goes live. Or he's going to hear all of this. Yeah, click stop to end the recording session. It says stop. There's a square and it says stop. It's at the top. Look at the top of the screen and click on the... And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper and I am joined as always with my holly jolly festive friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing on this, the final episode of the year 2020? Yeah, uh, great. I'm happy to be rounding out our year with a film that sort of bridges what has come before and what comes next, but still retains that holiday spirit that we're trying to capture on the show. Right. That sense of peace on earth, goodwill to men, you know, the last eight minutes of Scrooge. And I think that nothing says that like Dear Santa. Well, I think a lot of things say that, and one of them isn't Dear Santa. Uh, you know, sometimes the segues work, sometimes they don't. Uh, <laughs> I lied, just like our main character. It's true that several people asked us, hey, are you doing Dear Santa? Yes. And originally we were like, I don't know what that is, and stop harassing me we've talked about this and they were like no 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 really you should watch dear santa and then we did and we were like all right we kind of need to do this because it's crazy what's amazing about this movie is that if you're not really paying attention you do not you can easily miss the sinister gooey center of this movie because it's really wrapped up in a lot of peppermint and sugar plum dreams and all of this but take a bite and it is horrific of as to what is going on in this film yeah the main character is a maniac in the hands of a different director this could be a horror film yeah it's pacific heights only instead of michael keaton <laughs> you have amy acker uh-huh. there's a hint of a single white female going on here you know you're famous cinematic sociopaths 
there was a rash of this type of movie in the 90s. There were a lot of these one crazy person stalking a family. There was The Hand That Rocks the Cradle uh-huh. was in there. Poison Ivy kind of falls into that. Sleeping with the Enemy sure. is in there. There's a crazy person trying to kill you. In this case, we never really see the part where she tries to kill them yet. The sequel to this, Dear Santa 2, is a thing of horror. It's a prequel to a movie called The Stepmother. I won't be ignored, Derek. This could be the movie before Hereditary happens. There are a number of tragic sequels that this movie could be the opening act for. It's one of those things that, like you said, on the surface, the music is right for the emotion that it's going for. Uh But even the performance is a little bit unhinged. Yeah, there's a couple of moments where you're thinking she's going to pull out a knife. There is one moment in particular that's like, this is the moment she decides to murder all of them. Let's just get into it proper. Our movie opens up and we see stock footage of New York City at Christmas time and there are bell ringers from the Salvation Army. We see Robert Indiana's iconic love sculpture in front of a Christmas tree. I'm sure there are shots of Rockefeller Center and Macy's store windows and a bunch of rockets high kicking and whatever around here. I wasn't really paying too much attention at the very beginning, but it's Christmas in the Big Apple, Bo. I want to talk about this movie's opening credits because you know how I feel about opening credits and I want to give this movie its one and only compliment because all of the credits in this film are overlaid with the action in the film. So nobody's even going to pay attention or even give them any sort of real thought as they're showing this kindergarten cop font that is normally associated with Elmo teaching you how to spell the word happy. I think it's sort of an allusion to the writing utensils she's allowed and the sorts of institutions <laughs> she grew up in. It's very out of place. If they'd selected like a font from Tales from the Crypt, the blood dripping off the letters or your favorite papyrus font, would it have felt more out of place? I don't know that crayon scratching makes me think Christmas holidays. No, and honestly, if I had seen a papyrus font that early on, we would not be having this discussion now. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. You love the papyrus font. I think it is an affront to God and man when you see it used in any kind of commercial product. Like if somebody wants to use it as a gag fine but somebody trots it out like especially in title sequences and stuff because i watch enough shitty horror movies Mm -hmm. that they're dirtbags making those things that think the papyrus font is perfect for like oh this is set in ancient times it's like (laughs) just stop here we meet our film's protagonist crystal as she happily makes her way down the city streets of new york and crystal she takes out her iphone and she opens up this app and it says shopping list and then when she opens it up more fully it says job list well this is confusing is it a shopping list or is it a job list? But then my brain said, hey, you're missing the most confusing part of this entire scene because you see, Bo, she's in New York City and it's very odd that her mobile wireless carrier is TELUS, which is a Canadian wireless company. And it's even more confusing that at the top of her phone, it tells us that the date is March 31st. Yeah, uh, we don't have a lot of quality control going on <laughs> on the set here. Continuity is the biggest <laughs> concern with Dear Santa. I also like that her shopping list uh-huh. isn't stuff it's just name brands oh yeah it's just like chanel it's all bougie yeah like i'm not buying a thing i'm buying brand the, like the brand will have made a thing that i will then buy i guess do you own anything associated with the brands that were on her shopping list uh no i think that's safe to say i'd have to double check but i mean i own so very little chad you know me my communal style of life mm-hmm. where i don't believe in possessions so much yeah that time you spent in the Amish country 
really had an impact on you. <laughs> yeah, it sure did. I think I got a copy of The Devil Wears Prada that somebody gave me that I never opened. Does that count? I'm kind of taken aback a little bit, Chad, honestly, because I forgot for like a year and a half that The Devil Wears Prada existed as a film. Well, that was your time in Amish country. You know, when you go to the, the simple lands, Chad, eventually you forget things like, oh, Jackass was a television show. <laughs> I'd never forget that. You try. So there's all this fancy uh, shit on her phone and the critical moment of our movie happens, Chad. Oh, yes. Where a mailman is collecting some mail for from a collection mm, box. An irresponsible Canadian mail handler, apparently. Yeah, oh boy, <laughs> there, goes a, there goes a letter. Uh, looks like it's really got a head of steam built up. No point in chasing it. I, I think it just wants to be free. And so this letter flutters away and it lands in the window that our main character, Crystal, is looking at. Mm -hmm. And it's a letter addressed to Santa without any kind of proper postage or anything. I don't know where this thing was going. <laughs> the garbage. It may not have been so accidental that this mailman was just like, you know what? I'm going to let that go. That's just going to end up in the trash somewhere. Might as well be the street here, huh? Make that somebody else's problem, not Doug's. <laughs> it smacks up against the glass of this storefront and Crystal's staring at this little red dress. And so she grabs the letter off of the glass as the mailman just rushes off, not giving a shit about all of the other mail that just blew out of his sack the mailman is just like sorry gotta go excuse me sir you dropped this and <laughs> yeah no yeah sorry i'm already down to block it's a done deal that letter's yours now you can deliver it or not i don't care you should see the back of my honda it's full of levers i'm never gonna deliver it's like the law of canada says finders keepers <laughs> yeah that's you gotta keep it now you just found it there on the on the window <laughs> at this exact moment a saleswoman from the clothing store who clearly works on commission she pops outside and she says gorgeous isn't it it's the last one and it's only in yours Size. I'm guessing petite size negative zero and i'm like this lady's got a rack of dresses in the back right she's just making this bullshit up about limited quantity and inventory just to get her in there to buy a dress act now supplies limited mm -hmm. women be shopping Bo. women be <laughs> shopping that's true women do like to shop <laughs> and our character crystal pockets this letter goes into the shop so far she's done nothing wrong <laughs> give it time lowenstein <laughs> and she goes home and gets some shit right away from her mom via zoom uh -huh. about like oh i suppose you're out shopping darling her mom looks like she's calling from peewee herman's picture phone there's olin mills backdrop of a tropical getaway that's like gently flapping in the wind it's your boss's zoom background he's hey everybody i'm i'm calling from the bahamas no you're not greg it's just your dumb background no the tree's blowing you like that it's fun isn't it starts playing some steel drum music on his phone with that tinny ass <laughs> speaker no look the band's playing boys uh, this is all to say we're gonna have ourselves a little zoom happy hour on wednesday i know that we don't get a chance to get together anymore nor did we ever when we all worked in an office but uh this seems like a great time to i don't know get together and waste everybody's evening yeah, hey um i'm not gonna be able to make that i've got to go down and get some biopsy results so i will not <laughs> great so when you get back then no I, I definitely won't be back um if the results are 
are not positive, I will most likely be immediately admitted into the hospital. Well, best of luck, but uh, it is uh, less a, a get-together than a mandatory work uh, outing. So, uh, unless that uh, biopsy is bleeding, I uh, I expect you to be on that Zoom call. Uh, what's your poison? I think it's probably going to be chemotherapy, uh, to be honest with you. The outlook is not good. Sounds like you got yourself a good reason for a couple of Mick Ultras. See you Wednesday. I'll see you Wednesday. Oh, all too familiar. The mom tells Crystal, darling, you're 30-something years old, and your father, I assume, you'd find yourself something to do or someone to do. Since neither of these have happened, we're cutting you off. You're going to be kicked out of your apartment and out on your ass. (laughs) Crystal's like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I'm going to get a job. Things will be different. But I don't see that that somehow counters their decision to cut her off. It seems like that that supports their decision to quit giving her money. There's a lot of flawed logic going on here when her mom kind of pieces out because she's like look darling there are things happening on this island that are a little freaky and i need to cut the video off so ta-ta your father and i won't be coming home for christmas on her way out the door though of the zoom call she's like by the way that tangerine sweater not your color your complexion is shit darling bye-bye leaving crystal to be like so they think i'm worthless do they they think i don't belong anywhere do they and then, you know, she sings her villain song about how, you know, she, I'll shut out the light, whatever it is. I do like that this movie's inciting incident takes place within the first three minutes of the film. They don't bullshit around on the front end. No, not at all. Because immediately after this horrifying phone call with the parent, uh, she calls her best friend, Kim. Yeah. Hey, Kim, you know how I've been searching for a man for 30 years to satisfy my parents' request. Uh-huh. Well, none has been found. Mm. So I need a job. And a latte. (laughs) So, meet me in an hour at a conveyor of lattes. (laughs) (laughs) And then then Crystal sees this letter to Santa in her coat pocket. And she's like, but what is this? (laughs) And... (laughs) And opens up the letter, and it's a child's, like, again, it's, it's either a child or it's a, an institutionalized patient's letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa Claus, sorry I forgot to write last year. Thank you for the easy cook oven. I really wanted an easy bake oven, but this movie could not afford to mention that particular product in the screenplay. This year I want just one thing, a new wife for my father. This will be the second Christmas since my mother has died. Interesting. Even though my father tries, he fails miserably. Could you send us someone nice and pretty, fairly sweet, rosy cheeks, no warts, plays games all sorts? Interesting. Sincerely, Olivia, the Canadian little girl who is the daughter of the hunky guy in this movie. Ha ha! A solution to my problem. Don't worry, Olivia. New mommy will be home for the holidays. <laughs> And, and so she goes on a walk with her friend Kim, a real, you know, Sorkian walk and talk. What are the odds, do you think, of me finding this letter on the same day? It has to be fate. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty good odds, I guess. You just, you found a letter. Some mailmen drop shit all over the place. I found a brick of heron one day that my mailman dropped. I live in a pretty bad part of town, but I sold it. Well, I sold most of it. Some of it I shot up. I got some. You want to get high? You know what I like about you, Kim? What's that? It's your dim-wittedness. I hear that a lot. So, this little girl wants a new mother, and I need someone to satisfy my parents' request. This letter is the key to all of my plans. So Olivia will get her Christmas wish. I don't want to disappoint her. (laughs) Actual dialogue from her is, I could be this little girl's wish from Santa. This is the moment the delusion (laughs) takes hold. 
And then Kim is like, look, I am not paying a lot of attention to what you've been saying, but it sounds a little shady. It sounds illegal slash completely illegal. Kim says, hey, look, these could be like hillbillies living in a trailer or the suburbs or something. And first off, Kim's right about the trailer park trash. I do not think that our character Crystal, a woman who is on her way to becoming the Canadian Blanche Dubois, would turn up her upturned nose when it comes to living in a trailer park. She might be able to worm her way in the suburbs. So I give points to Kim on that. Yeah. But then Crystal says, ha ha, my dear, they live in the West End. I Googled their return address. Neither hillbillies nor suburbanites does this family be. <laughs> if you don't think that I do my homework, well, you don't know Crystal, do you? Kim's like, hey, look, you need to put that letter back in the envelope and drop it in the mailbox or near a mailbox and you need to get a job. That's my two cents and I'm totally un responsible oh sweet innocent kim i would but first i have to go stalk him at his home the only jobs that i'm interested in are con jobs my dear and don't even say it hand and blow are not even on my list i will not stoop to that level of indiscretion this little girl's heart will be broken if she does not get her christmas wish from santa claus and if it does not come true that shall not be on my shoulders and kim's like hey look we all gotta have our dreams crushed sometimes you know what i think kim and i might be friends if she was a real person kim is real level-headed through most of this and crystal then goes to this dude's house yeah after googling it it turns out this guy Derek, he's a hunky dude uh-huh. who owns a snow removal service and all i can think of when that happens is the mr plow song naturally that's all anyone can think of i like that crystal's wearing the dark beret the dark sunglasses the black jacket the turtleneck her suv's black it's standard issue stalker uniform right if you're going to do something do it right Derek's snow plow is really large and the plow is very pronounced and it is a highly impractical form of transportation unless you are on your way to or from plowing snow it's like the bluth stair truck from arrested development you don't just tool (laughs) around town in this and that's what he does he's picking up his kid from school and and ice skate practice and he's going on dinner dates in a snow plow oh yeah where do you park that nowhere anywhere (laughs) we rented the plow we're gonna use the plow you know who's not throwing in any money toyota on the other hand plow king turns out they paid for the whole third act when she's following this dude around which is what she's doing she's just straight up tailing this guy Uh uh-huh she watches him pick up his daughter from school Mm -hmm. and go to have a sunday with her and there's this generic version of the laws there she goes playing in the background it's not quite that but it's almost that the whole time she's just like yes yes reveal yourselves to me (laughs) teach me your habits let me know a way into your world and (laughs) she watches them drink these canadian milkshakes we call them dairy bombs up here we're just gonna have ourselves a couple of malted dairy bombs yeah they're made with bagged milk that's really the secret ingredient. If, uh, on the way out of here, we're going to have a couple of double-doubles. Now, I know people say that's too much uh, sugar to give a child, but I say they can go right to hell if she's a Canadian, and she will, by God, have a double-double and play hockey. <laughs> Derek and his daughter, Olivia, they leave the ice cream shop, and Crystal, she tries not to be noticed, and she's sitting like 30 feet from their window, just like an idiot, grinning ear-to-ear, watching them have their <laughs> father-daughter date. Rubbing her hands together. <laughs> <laughs> Derek and Olivia, as they're walking out olivia drops a purple mitten on the ground so naturally crystal jumps out of her suv runs around and picks it up and then goes back to the house 
of Derek. Crystal follows Derek and gets to the home and she runs up on the porch to leave the mitten and drops it and then dashes back off. As she's waiting in the car, we see a babysitter show up with long blonde hair, which does not sit well with Crystal. And for a second, she's like, well, who is this bitch? And then realizes pretty quickly it's a babysitter and she's like, oh, well, time to retract the claws. And then Derek takes off and Crystal follows. And this is the first point where I wondered at what point does following someone become illegal? Private detectives can do it, but can they do it because of their license? Or is it just an hour thing? Like, hey, if you just randomly follow someone in public around, that's not illegal. Yeah. And she's playing the system. Like, again, this is very Pacific Heights where like letter of the law means that you can't stop her from following you around to the Sunday dates with your daughter. She follows Derek to where one might assume he works and Crystal gets out of her car. She fluffs up her hair and she marches inside this establishment to, you know, let him know her legs are open for business and business is good, Bo. Yeah. As soon as Crystal enters this workplace through the back door, first off, someone should call the cops when this happens, but they don't. Crystal goes in and her face just screams, what? in the fuck is this place because it's a soup kitchen and for those who don't know what a soup kitchen is it is an establishment normally a non-profit business that serves food to homeless people and crystal looks like she's fallen into a dumpster full of diapers used cat litter and toenail clippings it's a real oh this is for the paws what is that smell and I'm talking about the workers. Derek turns around and is like, oh, hey there. Uh, you look like a first-time volunteer around here. Uh, look, we're uh, we're trying to get the dinner done. Uh, if you've never done this before, don't even worry about it. You're just going to follow me around. Do, do you want to work in the kitchen? Or you want to go out front and, uh, and, and deal with all the people there that need some food, you know, on a cold night like such as uh, tonight? Yeah, and you need to know that the people out front, a lot of them suffer from substance abuse and mental illness and sexual abuse or some combination of all three and you're going to need to put on this hair nut uh mostly it's free of lice you can help me serve food out front if anybody asks you if you want to see a mouse say no it's gonna be a trick to have you look down at their dick as a newbie you should expect a little bit of hazing also same thing goes if anyone asks if you want to see a one-eared elephant also a trick to get you to look at their dick so come on newbie we're gonna get you out front to feed the homeless uh, other than that though other than uh, the sometimes <laughs> crippling mental illness and and the, the substance abuse problems and and a sexual assault that you might run into occasionally here in the corners other than that they're just like you and me underneath and and that's the thing to remember i think you're gonna be on bread duty and i'm emphasizing the duty there because i it, it is part duty as a matter of fact, it's just, look, hey, it, uh, we got to stretch the dollars here. Look, if the rats are going to be here anyway, why not put them to use? That's what I say. This homeless guy who looks like Red the Bum from Back to the Future 1 and 2, he comes up and Crystal says, oh my God, the smell. I mean, would you care for some bread, sir? I don't eat bread because of the carbs, but you look like someone who eats just about anything am i right and derek says hey don't worry you're going to get used to it i mean the smell and the unsightly nature of their teeth and the the way that they try to stab you and each other with the plastic utensils and how they follow you to your car at night when you leave and how they sometimes follow you home and peek through your windows while you sleep underneath it all though really uh stranger they're just like you and me there's a salt of the earth people no doubt about it crystal says you have no idea how much they're like me my handsome, chisel-jawed, blue-eyed mound of muscles. <laughs> what they are waiting for is a queen. Now, Derek, it's important you understand. I have become immediately horny for you. My tentative steps into this place first I thought were disgusting, but now that I see you in action, I've decided that, yes, 
My vagina will host your penis. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I don't understand those words too much, but if you want, you can go back in the kitchen and you can meet the gay character of our movie. Yes, it seems like it is time for that portion of the story. Derek, do me a favor. Keep that package safe for me so she goes into the back and we meet pete the gay guy who is a cook in the kitchen at this soup kitchen now the first indication that we have that pete is a gay guy is that he is wearing a pepto-bismol pink chef's coat and chef's hat yes that one gave it away the second indication is that he has a giant studded earring in his right ear that sparkles Uh strike two the third indication is that his eyebrows look fabulous you're gay (laughs) now the fourth indication that pete is gay is that his first line of dialogue is uh honey you better soak that pot or else you're gonna be scrubbing away that nice manicure snap 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 look first off the guy who's playing pete the gay guy in this is patrick creary don't bother looking him up and i can say with certainty that mr creary is a heterosexual man playing a stereotype of a gay man i would go one more with your list of hey here's how you know this character is gay is the excessive amount of lip gloss mm-hmm. that he is wearing crystal says oh my god is that nas lip gloss in orgasm and i was like what do those words mean so i looked it up and apparently nars is a brand of cosmetics and they have an orgasm product line collection. So I've learned that now. (laughs) That's a thing, you know. Our cartoonishly homosexual character says, I'm uh, Pete Kennedy, chef extraordinaire and full-time homosexual. Um, I can tell by looking at me that I'm a gay man. Um, The pink clothes and the sparkly rings and the eyebrows and the lip balm probably gives it away. But uh, look, I'm not going to be a threat to you in the movie. My favorite sexual organ of choice is the penis. I have very little interest in vaginas. I think they're... to gross i guess because even saying the word kind of gives me a little bit of upset stomach by the way look you can take that hairnet off you know what i mean that's just that's for the front of the house back here where we make the food it don't matter at all we're feeding the homeless right you're not feeding the queen of england so anyway um i went to culinary school for four years Uh, that's my backstory i didn't graduate i guess but i went to school honestly the reason i'm here i'm polishing off 100 hours of community service for my fourth dui and a couple of b's and e's but that's something else i don't want to get into and according to the script of the movie uh i say things like you're a hot mess and you look fabulous because by the way i'm a homosexual if you couldn't figure it out look i barely even noticed how luxurious your hair was or your supple frame or any of that uh purely platonic uh maybe more sisterly i mean i like guys clearly i like guys but oh my god look at you then he's like look you gotta have a taste of this soup now i know (laughs) looking at me you're gonna say this is probably going to be some frou-frou soup or something. But no, it's uh, it's a real heterosexual soup. Uh, but have a taste. And then she does have a taste and she's like, hmm, I thought this was going to be utter garbage. But I have to admit, Pete, it's not bad. I'm going to let you live. Pete says, you know that, uh, that Derek out there, he's real edible. He's a real doll. You know, he works double time between taking care of his kid, Olivia, who you're going to meet in a minute, and uh, he finds time to volunteer and feed the homeless here, and he drives around a snowplow, and he works at an orphanage on the weekends, and uh, he reads to the blind, he walks old dogs that don't nobody love anymore, and he writes letters to lonely soldiers and prisoners, and he raises money for Habitat for Humanity, collects trash off the side 
side of the road. He's the whole package. She gives him a real, like, look, keep your goddamn hands off of him, un- you understand? He's mine. How often does he volunteer? What days precisely? When does he arrive? When does he leave? Do you have locks of his hair? Perhaps a vial of his tears? I'm asking for a friend who is also a voodoo priestess. Tell me, tell me more, homosexual man. Pete, I'd like you to sit down in the office, and I, I want you to write down everything you can remember about Derek's schedule. You know, the thing I remember most about Derek is uh, he's got this girlfriend. Vava Voom. You should see her. When she walks, it's like I get lightheaded looking at her. And, um, but my parents, when I was a kid, you look, you, they told me I was gay when I was like two or three years old. And they were like, you're going to be gay when you grow up. So I can't disappoint my mom, even though she's old and sick and is probably going to die someday and let me live the life that I've always chosen to live. But I'm gay. I'm gay. That's how it is. But Derek's girlfriend. Ooh. Pete, shut up your homosexual amusings. You let me worry about the girlfriend. <laughs> so she heads out to serve some more soup. And while she's doing it, she ends up like fixing this dude's scarf. And Derek sees her and he's like, hey, say, normally a lot of these people, they just spit right on the homeless people there. And you were treating them almost like a human being. Not not 100% or nothing, but pretty damn close. And <laughs> he says, we got a delivery uh, to, to make some of these soups that we feed these people uh he's gonna be here tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning if you want to come unload that stuff it's a little bit of manual labor and there's no pay and uh frankly i probably won't even remember if you're here or not but it'd be nice if you came i guess yes yes a thousand times yes 9 a.m i shall be there precisely at nine i'll set two alarm clocks to make sure that i'm not going to be late by the way my name is crystal you know crystal refined beautiful and perfect and derek's like yeah yeah whatever that means just come help us unload a truck all right sweetie created under pressure Forged to be beautiful by the very fires of earth and hell. Derek's daughter, Olivia, she runs in and is as precocious as a child can be in a Lifetime movie. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, I arrived from my play date. They bought me lunch. I didn't like it, but I pretended I did because I've got good manners. I was raised correctly. I'm going to go in the back and practice my flute. Hi, Mr. Lockhart. And she waves at this homeless guy and runs in the back. And the guy she waves at is this like old grizzled dude. He looks like a James Cameron impersonator kind of dressed up like a hobo crystal says the child the female there she appears to be so sweet so innocent so easily manipulated (laughs) yeah meanwhile derek heads outside to talk to this old dude frank and Mm -hmm. shopping cart frank yeah it turns out he doesn't come indoors that's his shtick so crystal then carries some dirty dishes back to the kitchen while olivia is flouting terribly crystal's like say that child you're not very good at that are you and she's like no and i hate it and crystal's like oh really you know i once was told to take cello lessons i hated it so i poisoned the cello teacher when they asked if i wanted to take up another instrument i said would you like to bury another body mother (laughs) she says perhaps you should tell your father that you hate the flute Olivia is like, you know what I like to do? I like to figure skate. And Crystal's like, oh, really? Well, child, you know, I skated for 10 years. I was quite good in my time. Perhaps this is a way that we can bond, a way that we can forge a friendship, something special, something that perhaps your father needn't know every detail of. It's very interesting you say that, little young one. In my youth, I was a vision on the ice. Could I pirouette, you bet? I was great at figure eight. This naughty plan I have is 
quite nice. She's like, what are you singing about? <laughs> Nothing, my dear. Go back to your horrible flouting. And the little girl says, you know, my dad takes me to the Brinker Rink every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, you say. Hmm, very interesting. I can make that work into my schedule. Let me check and see. Yes, I do nothing all day long. Pete, Pete, add Wednesday skating to your list. Yes, it's more convenient that way. That way I don't have to do it myself. Pete calls over and he's like, uh, Crystal, sweetie, um, Miss Thang, could you give me a hand over here? And Crystal says, Pete, can't you see that I'm psychologically manipulating a child? Damn it, Ben! I'm on my way. So Crystal and Pete, they carry pots of soup out to the serving room. And Crystal sees Derek still outside talking to shopping cart Frank. And Crystal asks Pete, who is that homeless person out there? Is that someone that I could manipulate to somehow win the heart of Derek, the handsome, chiseled, dark-haired man that you have clearly no interest in? And he, he says, he's like, oh, that that's shopping cart Frank. He's the most stubborn man on the streets. He refuses to do anything anybody asks him. He won't, he won't come in here when he's asked. So Derek always takes food out to him the local shop owners on the street they asked him to stop urinating on their store windows so he just smeared his own shit all over their door handles it was a real mess and don't even get me started about the time the cops told him to stop jerking off on the fire hydrants that was awful hmm Masturbate and shit smearing, you say. Another pawn for my game. We cut to Crystal the next morning. Uh-huh. As uh, she wakes up at the early hour of 1034 with exfoliating mask on and realizes immediately she's late for helping Derek. And she's like, damn it, my propensity to... To hit the snooze button <laughs> repeatedly has come back to bite me. This is a step backwards in my plan to seduce Derek. But she arrives as quick as she can <laughs> and she says, I'm very sorry, Derek. I wanted to be here to help unload this what is it lettuce yeah it's it's uh, it's okay uh we're we're pretty much all done here but uh we'll see you later cameron christy care whatever your name is yeah we're, we're we're pretty good here and crystal says Fool, my name is crystal and i am adorable and you shall fall in love with me man enter jillian the real hero of this movie she is a vision and this movie presents her as being the wrong fit for Derek, and certainly not the woman to be olivia's new mother however i would like to argue that jillian is the most normal person in this whole movie who is the biggest victim of this whole holiday nightmare. By El Mile. Because Jillian did show up on time to help unload this truck of food and she comes out of the back door of the soup kitchen into the alleyway and she says, uh, hey Derek, um, I've got an open house this afternoon. Is there anything else I can do to help out? And Derek says, oh uh, yeah, you can uh, take these donated clothes over to the shelter uh, on your way to work. And Jillian says, hey, of course. And she leans in, gives her boyfriend a kiss. She's got a job. She's cute. Uh-huh. She's affectionate. She helps her boyfriend unload food trucks she shows up on time at a soup kitchen but i'm team jillian all the way yeah they say i'll see you tonight and he's like yeah all right i'll see you there tonight for our normal date and whatnot crystal is just like so this is the jillian i've heard so much about remember my face jillian for it is the last face you shall ever see as the lights fade in your pitiful miserable life it will be my eyes that are watching yours. Pete, the pretending to be gay guy, he comes over and he's like, Hey, sweetie, I uh, I didn't realize you were on the serious plow. I mean, I know Derek there is drool worthy and that Jillian is, whoa, what a woman. But look, Derek's a man. And despite what you think, because, you know, I'm into penises and not incredibly sexy ladies like that Jillian. And most nights, you know, when you find me at the Pink Paradise Club um, out on the east side, um, I'm only there to pick up guys that are looking at naked ladies that are really uh, closeted gay guys. That's really what I'm trolling for um, when I go there. Crystal just 
tersely smacks him and is like, I don't pay you to think, Pete. I need you to tell me everything. And everything means stories about girlfriends. First off, you're a pretty lady. And when you slapped me just then, I felt something inside that was both good and bad. Could we go get a cup of coffee and I'll kind of tell you all I know about the, the soup kitchen and maybe you could slap me a couple of more times. Ow. Shut up, Pete. Look, I have this letter from the child. I found it when I was shopping for a dress worth more than you make in a year. Now, I, I'm apparently taking this letter with me everywhere I go. And Pete jumps in and he's like, oh, you've got the letter from Santa Claus? You totally gotta make this happen because when Jillian finds out about this, I think there's a good chance the two of you might get into a good old-fashioned catfight and I would love to see you and Jillian rolling around and just grabbing each other and slapping. I mean, you know, and then I would break it up. Of course. Yes, well, conflict with this Wendy Walmart may or may not be necessary, Pete. She calls her Wendy Walmart. Yeah, it's pretty low. <laughs> and, and Pete's like, look, the only thing that Jillian has going for is that she and Derek used to date in college, but then he met his wife, who died, and who, by the way, was one piece of ass. Not that I thought that, but I heard people say that, so I'm sort of parroting what a heterosexual guy might say about this really <laughs> Uh, blonde she had this really nice wreck oh ba boom if anybody could get Derek, it's you because look at you you got your hair that oh it smells so good you're just the whole package yourself i never really noticed what a vision you are but whoa and you're single too right uh, I mean, I mean, do you have a brother? And then he's like, look, if you want to get in with this guy, what you got to do is prove that you got what it takes to be a mother. You know, uh. me, like feminine and nurturing. Yes. I see what you're saying, Pete. You're not entirely without worth. And then she pays for the lattes. But as she's doing it, she's like, excuse me, shopkeep. Yes, you go. Can you break a hundred? No. Did, oh, you are poor. Did you notice when they hand them the two cups of coffee from the food truck that the cups make that empty cup noise like a clock? Yes. There, there's <laughs> like another a... moment where she brings coffee to Derek later. And it's the same thing where it's just he grabs it and he's got to do his level best not to just hurl it over his shoulder. This movie was so cheap. They couldn't put 10 cents worth of coffee in a cup. Right. Just put some liquid in it. You know, It doesn't have to be coffee just be water give it some weight for the saturday night live olympia restaurant sketch they got a working grill in studio 8h of rockefeller center and cooked real hamburgers in front of a live studio audience and this movie can't fucking fill a coffee cup we cut to the ice skating rink where crystal shows up stalking Derek and his daughter olivia yeah and crystal laces up her skates and she goes out on the ice and a stunt double of crystal goes out and spins around really really fast in a circle and then Derek and Olivia, they see Crystal's stunt double doing this ice skating move. And Derek says, he's like, oh, look at her. She's pretty good out there. Olivia is wearing this oversized purple safety helmet on her head. It looks like mm -hmm. something that a child would wear if a child was incapable of involuntarily preventing themselves from smashing their head on the wall over and over again whenever got angry or overly happy. At first I thought, oh, maybe kids in Canada, I mean New York, wear helmets when they go ice skating like they do when they ride a bike. But you look around, you're like, ah, nope, this is 
just looks ridiculous on this child. Yeah. And to get the attention of this father and daughter duo, Crystal just flops like she's in the NBA and is trying to get a foul off the ref. Mm-hmm. Derek and Olivia are like, hey, oh boy, she fell right over there. She was doing this fancy spin and apparently made her dizzy or something. She fell right there into ice and they rush over. And as they're chit-chatting a little bit, Derek gets a phone call that's work-related. He's being called away. And Crystal is like, why don't you allow the child to stay with me, Derek? I'll teach her how to spin. Yes, she shall spin. Oh, she'll spin so marvelously by the time you return. And they go off to skate and some mean girls skate over. Uh And they're just like, hey, Olivia, boy, you look like a piece of shit for falling on the ice. Also, you have pigtails like a baby and your helmet's like a baby, which is true. They even tag Crystal where she's like, you know, pigtails are actually all the rage. And they're like, yeah, well, that hat sucks. That was real last year. Fuck you guys and then they skate off at this point i kind of expected crystal to realize that these mean girls were possibly her mini me's and she would recruit them into her diabolical scheme but she's playing the long con she realizes that short-term alliances would undermine a long-term plan of taking over the mr plow empire of one truck and this defunct soup kitchen well step one of her plan is get the kid on my side right i will seduce the child and then the father will come along so right here she's talks to the kid about the mean girls and you know she's like they push me around and they make fun of my helmet and that's understandable your hat is ridiculous and they say all those girls like this kid named andrew lick in school Mm-hmm. And then they start mocking the girls. They're like, oh, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. Yes, yes. Anyone who has the last name Lick should be mocked themselves. Point him out if he's on the ice, and I will go over and make fun of him. Derek shows up and is like, hey, what are you two giggling about? Crystal is immediately like, oh, nothing. Just a little secret that your daughter and I have. Don't worry. It's <laughs> nothing at all. Then Jillian, our movie's ray of sunshine, she comes in and she says, sorry I'm late. I just closed another sale on a house you know making money with my job and all yeah and then D- Derek says uh, hey Jillian this is uh, Crystal she volunteers at the soup kitchen this is Jillian my successful real estate girlfriend and then Jillian gives Crystal the stink eye when she gets introduced which is a common greeting for any girlfriend introduced to another woman with her boyfriend so right. no points awarded for team Crystal in this matchup hey by the way I'd like you to meet this super cute girl that just started volunteering down into kitchen and also showed up while we were ice skating and you know remember showed up late when i asked her to go help us uh, unload that truck earlier yeah she seems like she's always around these days but uh, i guess uh, i just thought maybe you two should finally meet and jillian right is just like uh, trying to explode her head like a scanner but they take off like jillian and Derek and olivia leaving crystal alone on the ice just to, to kind of skate around and watch them walk away yes yes i've planted my seeds now to watch them bloom we cut back to crystal's apartment that i guess her parents pay for and she's there with kim and crystal says kim did you ever think that you might want a normal life and then kim actually says dialogue from the movie is this about that family you're stalking that was my favorite line in the whole movie because it's just a character being like i'm going to acknowledge here for one second that the main character of this movie is acting fucking crazy it tries to pretend it's not what it is but it can't kim totally gets it then they both look at each other like it's the end of the graduate and they tell themselves do you ever think that there's more than just you know shopping and lattes to life and they have that blank existential dread look but you know we all get it kim's just like "Eh, maybe no yes no look we don't we don't do anything else i'm leaning more towards no but you know 
I'm definitely not a yes now that I think about it. I've been reading a lot of Sartre, and what I've learned, Kim says, is that stalk who you want, don't stalk who you want. It doesn't matter. It None of it matters. We cut back to the Canadian soup kitchen with this giant American flag hanging on the wall, and there's this transistor radio that used to belong to my grandfather, and we hear this reporter say, snow is going to be falling throughout the region, because it's Canada. I mean, New York. And then Jillian shows up at the soup kitchen. She and Derek are talking. Jillian laughs the way that some ladies do. And Crystal's standing over by, he's clearly not gay Pete. And Pete, again, is still wearing his bright pink getup. And Pete starts stirring up some shit. And he leans over to Crystal and kind of mocks Jillian's laugh. And then that homeless James Cameron, who we talked about earlier, he starts hacking and coughing. And Derek says, uh, hey, Pete, uh, and what's your name? Kirsten? Craston? Hand me a napkin real quick. Then Jillian, our angel sent from heaven, she reaches in her purse, removes a napkin, and hands it over to hacking and coughing James Cameron so he can cover his mouth. Now, the movie turns on Jillian a bit here because we see Jillian look at her hands with disgust after this homeless guy hacks and coughs all over her gloved hands. And it's meant to make Jillian look uncaring and heartless. But I submit, anyone listening to the sound of my voice, I want you to think about someone that you love or even just someone that you genuinely like. Now, imagine that person hacking and coughing all over your hands for 20 seconds. You would react in the exact same way whether they had slept on a steam grate with a cardboard box blanket or not. I don't think we have to get this defensive of Jillian as a character. She's the one who isn't crazy. Yeah, maybe she doesn't like homeless people. Maybe her empathy doesn't extend to the homeless. But (laughs) she probably was fine with Black Lives Matter and et cetera, et cetera. She's imperfect. We're all imperfect. But she's not crazy. She's not stalking anybody and she's not allowing a stalker into the life of her child. I submit that Jillian no matter how bad this moment is yeah it is as bad as she ever is in the whole movie right and it ain't the worst that you ever saw her moral compass could be due south and she's still better than crystal right she's not the guy who won't give shoes to the infantry and glory or nothing she's just a little creeped out by a, a homeless dude coughing on her handkerchief and doesn't want it back and so she she makes an <laughs> ooh face and like goes outside and out comes crystal to fuck with her because now she, there's some blood in the water and crystal's like hmm yes let's pull at this thread and see what happens so she goes outside and they talk a little fast Jillian says, hey, that's a nice Stella M. Is it a knockoff? Because she's working at a homeless kitchen. You would think, you know, she may have something that's maybe not top dollar. And and Crystal says, actually, it's Burberry. And you're thinking, oh, Jillian might be superficial the way Crystal is when it comes to fashion and bullshit like that. But then Jillian says, my purse is Burberry. And, And Crystal says, oh, I don't think Burberry uses vinyl, my dear. And then Crystal walks away, just leaving this stunned burn hanging in the air. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that Burberry even made purses. I knew they made ghost-themed breakfast cereals, but other than that, I didn't know they'd reach down to other markets. Derek pulls Jillian away. She's like, hey, let's go to that date or whatever. And Jillian is just like, oh my God, this bitch is for real. <laughs> like, she's coming at me hard. Frank comes strolling by, and Crystal is like, oh, hello, yes, you're the one who won't go inside. Why don't you do that? And if you do go inside, let me use my phone to film me talking to you and encouraging you to do this as evidence of my caring for a fellow human being. 
Yeah. He says, well, 25 years ago, I went into a building and it changed my life, and I ain't going to do it again. Was it a church? No, it, was, it wasn't a church. Uh, was it a daycare? Are you a pervert? No, no definitely not a pervert. Uh, just Don't tell me what kind of building it was. Hold on, I like these types of games. I, hmm, let me see. Yeah, I, I know I'm homeless, but I am busy. Was it a Radio Shack? Well, I, there was a Radio Shack on the way to the place, but no, I did not go in a Radio Shack. Was it a police station? No, no, I have not. Sheriff's office? No. No, the uh, constable's office. No, no. Were you in the United States? It be uh, well, in as much as any of us are. Yes. Was it a doghouse? Uh, nope. Uh, uh, but I was in the doghouse for a while after. I will say that. Was it an airport? No. Was it the set of the hit TV show Taxi, starring Danny DeVito and Judd Hirsch? Nope, nope, nope. Uh, afraid not. Mm, shit. Can you give me a hint? How about uh, I'm gonna go meet my guy because mm. I may not look it, but I've got a pretty serious meth problem and I'm getting a little itchy. So I'm gonna go meet him. I'll be back towards the end of the movie and we will we will put a pin in this for now. Very good, very good. Have fun doing drugs. You and I shall meet again, my friend. And she gives him a scarf as he shambles off and like. <laughs> Remember, if Derek asks where you got that, it was Crystal with a C. <laughs> And then she goes through her pantry once she gets home and she's all high on gift giving or whatever. And so she grabs a bunch of clothes and, and shit from her pantry. Did you see what she pulled out of her pantry to give to these homeless people? It was my favorite part of the whole movie. It's all just spices and shit. Yes, but did you, did you see where the spices came from? No. They were great value brand seasoning, which is the Walmart store brand. And earlier she's giving Jillian shit by calling her Wendy Walmart. Look who's Wendy walmart now crystal it's you you're the windy walmart you are the one who is the windy walmart she takes all this shit to pete who gets these spices and he's just like uh thank you i guess uh you know it really helps if you have say meat and vegetables to mix with these spices (laughs) what do you got here oregano (laughs) well they didn't cover that in my four years of gay culinary school pumpkin pie spice what the fuck am i doing with this this one's just full of edible glitter what do i do with that this brown sugar is hot as a rock candy sprinkles all right i'll figure something out and so while Derek is watching this little spitfire of a young lady she dances with a a guy that she gives a hat to and whatnot meanwhile back in the kitchen pete hands Derek some mail and he's like look uh i don't mean anything by this i don't want you to think i'm coming on to you by handing you the mail but here you go you got a nice package oh yeah 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 right right i do like the packages right right i like your package i imagine what your huge package looks like um when it's fully exposed with your girlfriend jillian laying on her back after she's taken a bath and she's covered in nice lotions and perfumes and her hair's all laid out on the bed she's just a vision but i mean you're there too you know with all the man stuff but (laughs) When I look at you, the word I think of is, uh, oh, jeez, oh, Pete, oh, Pete, what was it you said to, to Crystal just the other night? Drool-worthy. Yes, you are drool-worthy. Could I take a quick selfie with you and me, and I gotta send it to my mom? She, uh, she's starting to question whether or not, you know, I got somebody special in my life. I'm starting to ask when I'm gonna settle down with the right guy, and I just haven't met the right one. She's really wanting me to adopt some grandbabies for her. And I'm like, look, Ma, I got to meet the right guy before I get married and settle down to do that. But <laughs> So it turns out that one of the things that comes along with the mail is a notice of eviction. Yeah, we know that because in giant red letters, it says final notice. And Crystal strolls in and is like, well, Derek, your face. 
It's pallid. Is everything all right? Did you find another letter from another lover? Perhaps an admirer. Do I need to read that? You know, I'm always willing to lend an ear. Tell me anything of your life. The more personal, the better. <laughs> Derek's like, no, it's, it's a nothing. I just uh, I owe a little bit of money or something. I am, uh, I'm sure it'll all work out. Olivia comes into the kitchen and she says, Crystal, I can totally do ice skating spin now. And the dad says, oh, geez, I gotta go plow some snow tonight. I need a baby sitter and olivia says how about crystal and then crystal agrees but not until pete snaps crystal's fingers with some tongs that make her say yes because pete really wants to see crystal and jillian get into a hair pulling fight in the soup kitchen someday because initially crystal is like a night alone with a child i mean i already have a trust what possible purpose could this serve that's where pete is like hey if he thinks you're a good mom and she's like oh right right the mother thing yes yes but there's a problem peter i've never babysat anything in my life Life, human or otherwise and pete says seriously i thought all us preteen girls babysat all the time like that's dialogue from this movie the gay yeah. guy says i thought all us preteen girls babysat enough yes yes you're right pete i should look over the human child so crystal goes into this child's house like she's discovering the ark of the covenant or something it is a real come with me <laughs> and you'll see a house filled with your obsessed infatuation. Look around and you'll see domestication. <laughs> if you want to view suburbia, simply look around and view it. <laughs> crystal wanders around thinking yes yes all of this will be mine and then she finds a photo of Derek and his dead wife and uh, Olivia interrupts this moment she's like so what's for dinner and then we see crystal failing to open up a can because she is not socially or functionally capable to do anything that most normal human beings can do but somehow Olivia helps her out and they open up a can of beans and the whole scene just feels like something out of I am Sam or the other sister <laughs> and she, she ends up burning the stove luckily uh -huh. not burning down the house so they order pizza and then we cut to crystal doing olivia's hair and these two are bonding over stories of olivia's dead mother and olivia says my dead mom and i used to have date nights and at christmas time we would go to this big tree and make our christmas wishes and crystal says yes yes tell me more about your christmas wishes i find them delicious <laughs> also i want you to be sure to tell your father about all of this olivia says i wrote a letter to santa i'm sure he got it anybody who prevented santa from getting my letter would have to be some sort of a monster of a human being and then Jillian calls on the phone and Olivia picks it up and she doesn't like Jillian because Jillian only talks about the good old days when she dated Derek when they were in college before Derek's dead wife, I'm guessing, got knocked up and that's why they got married. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Derek does not seem all that interested in Jillian. She is a real backup plan because he likes him crazy. Like, I don't know what the mother was like, but I have a feeling she was a little bit closer to Crystal than Jillian. Right. She was like definitely the art school girl where Jillian was taking business management or whatever. Like on the first night they had sex, he found a gun under her pillow. But it isn't mine. Uh, another thing that I really, really like about this, you get a little bit of insight into the psychopathy of Crystal. And Olivia. Yeah, where Olivia's like, I can't really say what my wish was because then it won't come true. That's what my mom always used to tell me. Crystal is like, yes, my mother was always busy on Christmas. Another Christmas alone for Crystal. 
Another Christmas without gifts. Another Christmas where she watched all the other children play with their toys. Well, guess whose turn it is to get all the toys she wants now, Olivia. That's right, Crystal. And as long as you play nice, you will get presents too. Oh, yes. We will all have such a wonderful Christmas this year. When the phone rings and it's Jillian and Olivia picks it up and she's like, I hate her. Hold on. Uh, yeah, what? No, my dad's not here. He went on a date with Crystal. You know, the cute lady from the soup kitchen? The creepy one who's always talking to that guy in the back pretending to be gay? Yeah. Anyway, well, goodbye. Click. And so at this point, Derek comes home. It's a few hours later. And Crystal and Olivia are spooning on the couch. Uh-huh. And then Crystal gets up to leave. And Derek says, oh, it's, it's kind of late, though. Why don't you just spend the night? This is a 100% invitation for the two of them to have sex. Or did I just misread that scene? 100%. And uh, Crystal is just like, we're going to play this slow. Now, I know that he wants to have sex. But I'm going to, t- I'm going to prove to him that I'm a good girl. All the while, his daughter will be singing my name into to his ear oh how wonderful it was to have crystal over oh crystal and i got pizza oh crystal and i played a joke on jillian it is utterly delicious i shall prove to him that i am mother worthy not whore worthy <laughs> so after insisting that she stay one of, one of the arguments is hey uh crystal uh you should probably stay because olivia will wake up and then all of a sudden you weren't here and she has no object permanence yet <laughs> and it'll scare the bejesus out of her that's what happened to her mother one night she was here and then the next morning she was mysteriously gone there was a hole in the backyard that i told her was uh, a garden that i'd planted but uh, kids being what they are they're resilient you know they bounce back the next Next morning, the music from a fighting game menu loops uh-huh. while Olivia is tickling tinsel on Crystal's face. And she's like, what? Get this thing away from me. Oh, I mean, good morning, Olivia. I guess I won't be destroying you after all. So they're decorating their house like for Christmas and shit. And who shows up? Jillian rolls in and it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? We've got a scheduled brunch date. And he's just like. Oh, gosh, guy, I forgot all about that. Uh, really sorry about that, Jillian. But, you know, this cute chick here was uh, just spooning up with my daughter when I got home last night. So I told her, hey, uh, why, don't, why don't you just stay here? Just sleep on the couch there. You can spoon right up with my little girl, you know, the apple of my eye and all. And, uh, yeah, so I slept upstairs. She was on the couch here with the kid. And, uh, yeah, she's been here all morning. We were decorating a tree and everything. It was like a real family. Uh, you should have seen it. A normal person, not Crystal, because she's a sociopath they would get up and leave the house right this had to be so uncomfortable (laughs) it's like waking up and finding out you're there on like the anniversary of grandpa's death and we're all gonna have a special dinner (laughs) and have his urn come out of its place and we're gonna have a chair just for him tonight you're like i gotta go no no you don't have to no i have to go crystal's like i've got peanut allergies if you're making omelets (laughs) right just i know they're normally not in omelets but even things that are nut adjacent um any sort of almond flour it really upsets me so i'm gonna sit over here while you make breakfast for me your boyfriend your boyfriend's daughter and uh, yourself if there's enough food for you to eat as well so after Derek apologizes for like oh i totally forgot we had a whole date and everything it's a real like hey he's just not that into you kind of moment and then jillian is like look 
that slut slept over here and Olivia told me it was a date and not a babysitting gig. Also, what the fuck is this pot in the sink? You, did you try to set the house on fire last night? And Crystal's just like, yes, yeah, so I burnt dinner. Then we had pizza. So what of it? Then she and Olivia giggle like real conspirators because she like Olivia's really on the hook at this point. Completely. And Olivia is like, hey, can Crystal stay for brunch and, and at, we can have the most uncomfortable lunch ever? Can we all go shopping later? Yeah. And Crystal sees a real opportunity for sabotage here and is like, Yes, yes, I should stay for brunch. Good idea, Olivia. Jillian leans over to Derek and she's like, we don't know anything about this woman. Yeah. Did you do a background check on her at, at the shelter? The exact line, because I thought it was a real relationship thing where she goes, sweetheart, we don't know much about her. And it's a real, hey, I'm the woman in this family. And Derek is like, oh, hey, don't even worry about it. I'll go shopping with you too. So that'll take the sting off of it. So it'll just be the three of us out uh, shopping. Doesn't that sound? Jillian, that solves your problem there, doesn't it? And Jillian's just like, yeah, I guess it does. Derek says, uh, I'm going to go get some Christmas lights out of the garage and leave the three of you ladies to have girl talk. At this point, Crystal is propositioned by Jillian to come help make whipped cream with a hand blender. And it's this showdown of two women and their cooking skills and it culminates in both of them slinging whipped cream and like egg batter all over each other and the kitchen. Derek comes back in and he's like, ladies, ladies, ladies. And any normal father would have kicked Crystal's crazy ass out the front door. Yeah, but instead she gives a little sly smile like Gilly from Saturday Night uh-huh. and he's just like, Boy, you girls, you're a real something. Anyway, how about we all get cleaned up and have this uncomfortable brunch already? Crystal goes upstairs to the bathroom to clean herself up, and she starts rooting through the drawers the way a crazy person does, and she finds a wedding ring. Then Jillian comes into the bathroom, and instead of saying, what in the hell are you doing going through my boyfriend's drawers? She says, it's a nice ring, and it's going to be on my finger by Christmas. And Crystal says, hmm, hope you can hold on to him this time, Jilly Bean. Yeah, and she's like, what? What the fuck did you say to me? And throws her this shirt that she got out of some closet or whatever. Clean the fuck up. Get the fuck out of my house. Get get away from my man. <laughs> and, and then cut to Derek and Jillian. And they're now looking at a yearbook. And Jillian's trying to lock this shit down. She's like, oh, remember all this stuff we did? Oh, remember when we passed the rep? Oh, shit. Remember when we got drunk that night and almost fooled around but then didn't? But now we do sometimes? They're eating their breakfast. Yeah. And then Jillian asks crystal so did you ever go to school and crystal says "Mm, yes i went to calgary i mean new york university and i graduated in 2003 she can't really keep all of her lies straight anymore so she decides to leave Hmm. i really feel like i've stepped in it here well tata i have a thing to do um deuces we get to crystal's apartment where crystal is there with her gal pal kim and they're day drinking (laughs) and crystal has a moment of clarity and she says you know kimmy perhaps i should give up no now that i think about it my parents are going to kick me out of my ass i have no money i have no place to stay i have no means to support myself i forgot about that for a moment Finally, back to our movie. So then we get a montage of Crystal and Olivia shopping as Derek looks on. I have no comments to any of this. And it just ends with Derek and Crystal walking on the city streets. 
And Derek says, so, uh, what did you do before you started volunteering at the soup kitchen? And Crystal's like, I've did nothing. He's fairly drunk because he's been drinking all through the shopping trip and it ended with a margarita. See, I thought that he had like coffee. Then they gave him water with cucumber. And then finally they started boozing him up. Then it was champagne and then some wine and then a margarita. Uh, I quit paying attention, clearly. And I was like, I don't know when Old Navy started partnering with Margaritaville, but here we are. Yeah, this place looked like a JCPenney or a TJ Maxx. It did not look like Macy's. No, no, no. And as they're wandering through this day for night shot that looks like utter garbage. It does. <laughs> Derek is like, hey, so uh, what's your uh, major there in college? She's like, major? I majored in designing things, weaving intricate webs. I was able to create my own major. I put together a curriculum that could only be described as human alchemy and he says listen i just want to thank you for your time with my daughter there i know i've been leaving her unsupervised with you a whole bunch here lately because uh, quite frankly i'm just not focused on parenting uh, as a whole so look you're great with the folks down at the kitchen i think that's just great and then olivia comes up hey we got to go to the town christmas tree so are you gonna make your uh christmas wish dear olivia and she's like i don't have to i wrote a letter to santa and i think he's working on it right now that's right olivia he is working on it right now one of his very special elves an elf named crystal is working on it right this moment <laughs> and so Derek drops crystal off at home and olivia just pops out of the truck to run over to hug her psychotic mentor and she's like today was great it felt like i had a mom again i think this is meant to be the first moment where Derek and crystal start to feel connected romantically but there's no chemistry at all between these two actors the characters have nothing in common they ha really have no reason to be together at all right the movie doesn't set up jillian as like you said being a fallback plan and that like that they have nothing in common it could have done that very easily through music or sports or culture or arts or you know things that they do the only thing that they have in common is like one night they enjoy riding around in a plow truck right and while and while they're in the truck she actually or, or Derek tells her like hey you're like a real inspiration to olivia there she she's taking these uh, ice skating lessons in fact it'd be great if you just came along to this intimate expression of my love that i got her these ice skating lessons you want to come along and watch oh yes i'd love Love to. That sounds like something that a wife would do, eh, Derek? One of the ways that they could have fixed this film is you take the character of Kim, the friend, and the clearly not gay guy, Pete, and you pick one, one or the other, and you make that person Crystal's best friend. And then when Crystal finds the letter, her best friend is the one who pushes her to make the unbelievable decision to open it and read it. They push her to do that. And then that friend pushes her, oh, you should return the letter. But then it turns out that Derek, oh my God, that's Derek from the soup kitchen where I volunteer and I know his whole backstory his wife died and he hates his girlfriend she's a harpy and like that's the one who is the catalyst for putting Crystal in this whole situation the way this is presented is that Crystal is the one making all of these deplorable decisions and manipulating people around her to further her ends right you could have the best friend be the friend outside of work it turns out they work at the soup kitchen and the best friend is the one who keeps making Making choices that keep spinning the plot more and more out of control until finally our two main characters fall in love at the end. I mean, that would be more of a real movie. Instead, uh, what happens is... Her mom calls on the Pee Wee Herman phone. 
Yeah. And she's like, mm, kisses, kisses. Santa sent you something in the mail, darling. Click. We won't be home for Christmas, darling. Goodbye. Olivia calls up and is like, Dad's wearing a suit and he's going on a date with Jillian. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next. Quote, she is going out with that witch again. That gets them both spooked, right? And Crystal is like, don't worry. I've planned for everything, Olivia. Just do exactly as I say and everything will go according to plan. Go into the bathroom. Turn on the hot water. Let it run for exactly four minutes and 22 seconds. <laughs> Take out three washcloths. Soak all three of them one by one and lay them across your forehead and your chest. Repeat this for 37 minutes. Once you are done, call your father and tell him you are ill. I think that takes her safety far too much into account. I think it's more like, when I was creeping around your house when I was asleep, I noticed you had some rat poison under the kitchen sink. <laughs> I want you to measure out exactly one quarter teaspoon. It won't kill you, but you will become violently ill, Olivia. You'll do what I ask because I'm your mother, aren't I, Olivia? Say goodnight, mother. Say it. <laughs> Good night, mother. That's right. I'll see you on the other side, Olivia. Derek and Jillian, they go to this fancy restaurant and Jillian says, I asked a friend of mine about Crystal who went to Calgary, New York University, and she said that Jillian didn't graduate. And Derek's like, well, I didn't graduate. And she's like, Derek, you're missing my point. Are you calling me stupid? No, no, I'm not. I'm going to get another drink. Uh, waiter, could, could we have two more glasses of water? None of them with Jack Daniels in them. Thank you. All of them with Jack Daniels. Just real quick, it's that she lied to us. Why would she lie about graduating from school? And if she's lying about that, what else could she be lying so about? So I lied to you about all kinds of stuff. Mm, you know what? We're going to talk about that later. Um, Derek, your phone is ringing. It's the other pocket. Yes, that one. Answer your phone. Green button. Hello. What am I? Hello. You got to turn it other way around. You're you're talking into the part you should listen to. I turned right. it around. No, you flipped it over. You got you flip it back. And turn it oh. like a circle. Like, pretend you're driving your truck and turn it like you, you use your steering wheel. Yeah, okay. Can you hear your daughter? Hey, hi, it's my daughter. I gotta go. So, Olivia's full-on Ferris Bueller coughing when they arrive home. Then Crystal shows up and is like, oh, hello, the door was open. I hope you don't mind, I entered. You just walked into my house? Why are you here? And Olivia's like, oh, I called her when I felt sick, and I didn't know if I was gonna get hold of you. I couldn't get hold of my dad, so I called my ma- <coughs> ma- <coughs> Keep in mind, this is Crystal's plan. Yeah, she told her to do all of this. And so Crystal then goes downstairs and she's like, oh, I'm sorry to have arrived, but I was worried about the child. Derek is looking at this <laughs> ring and she says, I'm so sorry your date was interrupted. I hope it wasn't anything important, Derek. No, I just got a little drunk and was going to ask some important questions, but I got a lot of other things on my mind right now. Derek, I wanted to mention to you that Christmas is coming up, as you know, and if you need any help at the soup kitchen or with your penis... I happen to be free on Christmas this year. Well, the last part of that was weird about the penis, but um, don't tell anybody. But we owe a whole lot of money and they're going to foreclose on the soup kitchen. We owe $10,000 in back rent. I need to call the music store right now and tell them Olivia won't be at her uh, flute lesson. What time is it? 
215 they're probably up at the music store it's the witching hour wait this is ego waffle it's in my phone <laughs> and then she's like look i have to tell you something your daughter olivia the flute is not something that intrigues her she's afraid to tell you but she tells me because i guess i more maternal a figure in her life boy i'll tell you what that olivia she could sure use a mom like you well not you but somebody like you like jillian jillian is a hoppy guys she is a hottie i was talking with that gay guy pete we were talking about how hot she was and i was telling her about when she does this thing where she bends over but then she kind of twists her leg around my neck and he ran into the bathroom for like 30 minutes yes it is getting late it was so nice to see you and i'm happy that the girl is safe but yes we are going to stop the talk of <laughs> jillian's vagina and then they get a little tongue-tied and, and awkwardly part and then on her way out he's like hey before you go there uh, i was had a, a question about you uh, you know you talked about graduating being a designer and all that stuff turns out that's a big fat lie uh how come and she says i thought that perhaps me not finishing college would make me seem flaky as if that i couldn't go through with a plan he would look upon me as a commoner and he's like hey if you're a flake then i'm a biggest flake in the world too so hey it takes one to know one you know what i'm saying there uh also you're looking especially cute tonight uh but if there are any more secrets uh i'd like to know are there any and she's like probably wait a minute was that out loud damn it I've got to work on my interior monologue. I keep letting the inside words somehow come to the outside world. Yeah. By the way, don't look in my purse. And he's just to be like, okay, fair enough there. You don't have to get all sensitive. We all got our secrets. <laughs> like, uh, I didn't tell Olivia this, but uh, I killed her mom. Uh, I didn't make a big deal of it or nothing, but she was a handful and a little kooky. And uh, while we're on the subject and not go anyplace, stay out of that garden in the backyard if you know what's good for you. It was kind of lumpy at first, but now it's a bit of a depression. So you can tell where it was. I think it's because she rotted. Now, I, I hate to get all colorful in my talking like that, but that's why it sinks a little bit. Uh, but I also put a ton of lime on there. That uh, that, that was something I got from uh, the SVU. You go back there and you start poking around. I got to tell you, that garden's going to become twice as big and twice as wide, all right? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I like this. First, I was going to take you for a sucker. But I have to tell you, Derek, this is a side of you I really enjoy. The word that I'm looking at you now is not husband, but partner. <laughs> Your daughter is already in my grasp. Could it be that you too could be a willing toy? Back at the soup kitchen, Crystal brings shopping cart Frank a bowl of soup and Frank's slurping it down. And then Crystal asks advice from a homeless man who refuses to go indoors. Good job, Crystal. And Crystal says, shopping cart Frank, have you ever made a decision that you thought would be good? It turned out it changed your life in ways you never imagined. Yeah. And look, Bo, I'm no sage hobo, but doesn't that just sound like the definition of a good decision? Yeah, and he says, well, now every decision is a gamble. You, you can gamble your whole life away every goddamn penny. And it was like, oh, hey, we're breaking out the GD for Lifetime? Well, all right. And especially for this Christmas movie? Wait a minute, Frank. I think I know the answer to your riddle. The building that you went inside 25 years ago, uh -huh. where you pissed away all of your money, yes. was a cruise ship. Close. Now, uh, there is a bit of a subset of a cruise ship that could- A spa. Nope. Volleyball court. A colder there. Lounge? No. It wasn't a stateroom on a cruise ship, was it? 
No, no. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. One in the bridge. Was it the pad where the helicopter lands when someone gets a severe case of diarrhea? That happened to me once. That's not even inside. That is an outdoor facility. Touche, my friend. What am I missing on the cruise ship? The nursery. The children's play area. The basketball court. No, you are somehow getting further away from the actual answer. I could just tell you. The captain's quarters. Nope. Sick bay. Nope. <laughs> the little jail uh -huh. that they put people when they get too drunk and they punch someone. Uh, explain it more doesn't make it more true. Nope. Frank, you have bested me. Tell me what was the place where you went 25 years ago and lost all of your money gambling 7-Eleven. Well, now 7-Eleven is important to the game of craps and that happened to happen inside a casino. Before we end this particular bit of exposition, it is important for me to say to you, not all decisions turn out to be goddamn bad ones. Well, Frank, no one ever said that. You're an idiot. Why am I talking to someone outside on the street who smells of piss and bourbon? You're a madman who hasn't been inside a building in 25 years. What am I doing? I might as well be talking to that dog or that rat. At least they have the benefit of not knowing how miserable a creature they are. <laughs> and so Pete and Crystal are prepping food inside. And Crystal is like, you know, Pete, at some point this trap has to spring. I have to show him the letter. And Pete is like, look, girlfriend, I know as someone in touch with my feminine side, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. And if you are going to tell him, wait till Jillian gets here and make sure that I have my cell phone recording so I can get all of this. You may have noticed I've worn a lot looser pants lately. That is for easier access. I know a fight is brewing, and I just pray to the good Lord Jesus I'm there when it happens. We cut to later that night, and Crystal runs in the front door of the soup kitchen, and she says, My dear, my dear, my car was stolen. I parked it right out front. And Derek, who's the only one there for this little drama skit, Derek says, Well, did you park your car in the tollway zone? And Crystal says, That's exactly where I parked it. And apparently, Derek, now I need a ride home. Would you be willing to give me a ride? in your plow truck my friend yeah okay just be sure you put on the seatbelt right away there this this is a bit of a bumpy ride uh i'll tell you that right now he gets her in the truck uh -huh. and his cell phone rings and it's his job or you know the business he owns and come plow my parking lot Derek. Yeah. And he's like, hey, I got a job. This guy wants it done tonight. I got a truck down. Uh, we got to do it. So look, uh, you mind going with me on this here job? And she's like, you're the one who doing me the favor, Derek. I'm happy to come along for your work. <laughs> so they go plow. Uh-huh. And he teaches her how to do it. It's like this little push button thing that raises and lowers the... Yeah, look at this. You just you push this button up and it goes up. Guess what happens when you push it down? Does it go down, Derek? Really, I had <laughs> such high hopes for you based on our conversation earlier. But now, you're coming across like a moron. Guess what happens when you push it sideways? It doesn't do nothing. It only goes up and down. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Hmm. Derek, how about you let me do it for a little while? Country music plays, and then he takes her home, and they're kind of laughing. He's like, hey, you were a pro by the end of it. Well, frankly, it's not that high skill a job. As you saw, it's just pushing the button up and down. You just gotta gotta get a feel of when to do that. I guess, uh, in retrospect, it's really made me start to question like what I've done with my life, and if maybe I challenge myself in the right ways there. <laughs> But I had a good time, I guess, is the moral of the story is that... I'm having a Christmas party for uh, the six or seven guys that work for me, and a couple of them are gals, so you won't feel totally uh, out of place and that you're going to get violated, but you could come over, and uh, it's just going to be, you know, a bunch of beer and uh, potato chips and maybe some popcorn at my house. You think you might be interested in doing that? Yes, Derek, yes. I understand that these Christmas holiday parties are quite the bonding experiences, and I feel that you and I have done quite a bit of that this evening. Soon... <laughs> You belong to me.
we cut back to Crystal's apartment and Pete, the clearly not gay guy, he's there and Crystal says, Peter, you shall cater Derek's party. I shall wear a fancy dress and look divine. But wait, what if Derek has already gotten engaged to Jillian? I'll deal with her when the time comes. Alexa, order more rat poison. As for my dress, I have just the garment. So we cut to Derek's house where he's holding this Christmas party for all his employees and they're all drinking Molson and Labatt Blue and one just called Beer A. There's like I said, eight people there. It's it's a real blue collar get together. So Crystal shows up and she looks like she's going to the Broadway musical adaptation of Pretty Woman. Pete's in the kitchen and he's wearing what else? A bright pink shirt with tuxedo ruffles. I can't even imagine what the closet of his house looks like. I think it's probably full of uh, Penthouse and Playboy. Yeah, Um, the band Mouse Rat from Parks and Rec is playing. It is like, it is the grungiest, most dirtbag kind of Christmas party you ever saw. Derek comes out after taking a piss and he's got a bottle of beer in his hand. He sees Crystal and he's like, oh, wow, you look amazing, Crystal. And Crystal says, thank you, Derek. You're not wearing your signature plaid. How adorable. Where's the child, Olivia? And Derek says, oh, she's with their grandparents that we never mentioned in this movie so far. I'm not sure why we're bringing it up now. <laughs> yeah, and Jillian immediately shows up. Is like, the fuck is going on over here? Derek, you didn't tell me that Crystal was going to be at this party for your employees and also you should have told her that the dress was casual she probably feels silly and a bit overdressed in that outfit and crystal fires back a, i'd much rather be overdressed i always think it's better to be a little too stylish than well whatever this is and then crystal the supposedly lovable heroine of our movie that we should be rooting for says won't you excuse me and she shoulder checks jillian the girlfriend of the party host on her way to the bathroom yeah and then she rounds to the kitchen where pete is yeah and she's like peter this party is awful we have to do something then she sneaks in like it's i i I know i've name checked this already tonight but it's like an snl sketch Uh of her like sneaking into the frame and taking out the shitty music and putting her iphone on the speaker and giving it a grin who would have the audacity to do this Bo? I go to a party and not like the music and then go pop off somebody's iPhone and kick yours on there. Yes, yes, I certainly prefer this sort of dance beat over whatever the hell sort of drivel you were playing a moment ago. And it's just dance music garbage playing. Meanwhile, they rush off to the kitchen while a bunch of stunned party goers are like, did that bitch just changed the music we were listening to (laughs) and pete and crystal didn't make this potent eggnog thanks to crystal dumping a bottle of old granddad into this blender (laughs) she starts serving drinks to everybody pete starts going around with canapes and shit Uh everybody starts loosening up a dude comes up to crystal and is like you want to dance certainly it will make my intended all the more jealous if you would like me to bend over so you can grind against my buttocks just tap me on the shoulder twice right and all of this carefully laid plan starts to come together here because jillian who is rightfully like the fuck is this woman doing she is busting into my life she has ruined the christmas party that i probably decorated for and by the way paid for like i paid for all the beer in the fridge all that shit and now she's in here she's got everybody dancing she's the center of attention because of course she is and she looks at Derek, and she's like (laughs) Yeah. 
like, what does this bitch think she is doing? Well, it looks like she's having a little bit of fun. Hey, I'm going to go put more beer in the fridge. Yeah, you're on your own, Jillian, the girl that I've been dating for a couple of years, maybe? Well, since his wife died, in the next scene, Crystal goes to the bathroom, and then Jillian just opens the door while Crystal's freshening up, and Jillian says, look, you may think you have something with your rich, fun girl act, but I was the one who held his hand at Laura's funeral. I was the one who checked in on him. I made sure he had food in the fridge. I made sure he had clean clothes to wear, and I'm going to be here with him for the rest of his life. And Crystal says, really, whether he likes it or not, what is happening in this movie? (laughs) Yeah, and Jillian is like, I'm on to your lies, bitch. Crystal is like, good. Now we have something in common. I saw how you treated that homeless person. Perhaps that is something Derek might be interested in as well. (laughs) And then she uh, gives her another shoulder check as she passes by. But we see that she has left her handbag behind. Right. Derek's on the porch alone and Crystal goes out to find him and she's like, oh, I'm terribly sorry about all the fun everyone is having and what a wonderful party this is, eh, Derek? Yeah, it's great, I guess. Derek, why ever are you out here on the porch looking so glum? I don't feel like celebrating. I mean, I guess it's official and we're going to be locked out of the kitchen by Christmas midnight. Oh, dear Derek, I wish there was more I could do. And she's like getting closer to him, putting an arm on his back and kind of giving him a little rub. And he's like, listen, you've done more than a lot of people, more than you even know. You're a pretty good person. Ever since you walked into that kitchen and I was like, hey, is her name Kristen or Chris or or Connie? It's hard to remember. That was probably, what, four days ago? (laughs) And I gave you that hairnet covered in lice and I told you that there was just a little bit of lice on it. By the way, you should probably run a lice treatment through your beautiful hair. As they're about to kiss, Crystal is like, listen, let me nip something in the bud before it becomes you know a thing later and before she can reveal this whole letter situation a couple of drunken revelers from the party come staggering out hey Derek it's a pretty good party Derek's like hey I better uh, wrestle these guys in I think I heard somebody bring the punch bowl in there uh listen hey what we were about to do there with the kissing and whatnot we should do more of that later how about we go out on an official date or something tomorrow indeed indeed that sounds fantastic Derek why don't we keep this a little secret between you and me and no need to tell Jillian not yet anyway Meanwhile, Jillian has a stain on her blouse because of all these drunken rednecks <laughs> that, like, Crystal has set off. Threw some barbecue sauce at her. Yeah. Turns out that Jerry has a drinking problem, and that's why it was a dry party <laughs> until Crystal showed up with her eggnog, and now he's on a bender, unlike any he's had for the past, like, eight months. And she's, like, clumsy Neanderthals, and she finds this handbag and opens it up, of course. That's not unreasonable. It's like if I saw a wallet, I would open it to see if i can find some identification to return it to them and also if even if you knew this was crystals if you're jillian the one thing you know about her is that she is full of shit so i want to <laughs> see that id and see if her name is really crystal because you don't know all of a sudden she's at the christmas party and she's been working there for three days what the fuck is happening after she reads this letter from olivia which is inside the purse because apparently crystal is carrying this everywhere like a maniac <laughs> she gets this real grinchity grin because she's Uh like you know now i've got the goods on crystal i can show Derek what i've known all along which is that crystal is a lunatic 
they left out the scene where Jillian shows Derek the letter. I wanted to see that conversation, but they skip over that. Crystal, meanwhile, is re-gifting some old skating outfits in the closet. Yeah, it's a real shit move. <laughs> yeah, to Olivia. And when the doorbell rings, it's Derek in the lobby of her apartment building, because of course she lives in an apartment with a doorman and whatnot. She goes down to the lobby, and, and it's time for their big date. She's got this gift for Olivia. He's got the letter in his hand. Right. And he's like, what in the world is this, huh? Jillian brought it to me and she was she had to read it to me because I'm not, you know, that big a reader. But uh, she said that it says that uh, Olivia wanted a new mom and then you pretended to be a new mom. That's crazy. Why did you do such a thing? Well, I need to explain myself. Um, give me a moment to come up with a response. You know what? Jillian was right. And that's not something I say all the time. Cause a lot of times she says some really stupid stuff, but she said you are a liar and that's what you are. You are a liar. Okay. Listen, here's the thing. That is true. But since I am a liar, that means it is false. And I got to tell you, I found that letter and my instinct said, do not open this crystal. But then another part of me said, go ahead and open it. So I listened to that part. That part is true. Look, these, this old Canadian heart was was so cold after the death of my wife not it nothing could warm it up not even uh that time that the leafs uh scored into double overtime that was did really you, special did you ever even care about those people in the soup kitchen or was that part of your whole act too full honesty derek the answer is no i had no desire to help any of those people i was completely in the soup kitchen to try and get into your pants because well look at you but honestly i have since learned their value as pawns in my elaborate game i think it's a game that's only beginning if you would allow it why would i tell you all of this derek why would i be so transparent with my devious scheme if i hadn't learned something new and Derek's like, oh, you took advantage of a little girl's wish for your own amusement. You're a terrible person. I think you suck, Crystal. And then Derek starts to leave, but Crystal says, Derek, Derek, stop. Take this package full of a brand new skating outfit for your daughter, Olivia. She would love it. It's exactly her size, or she'll possibly grow into it. I call this my Hail Mary gift, Derek. Derek inexplicably takes the package. I was thinking he probably just threw it in the dumpster. That's what I would do, because this is clearly a crazy person. The next yeah. day, Crystal wakes up, and it's not Christmas morning. And this movie really plays fast and loose with the dates of Christmas and time. None of it really matters until the very end when they say, oh, it's Christmas. Crystal gets another call from her mom on the picture phone, and the mother says, hello. Hello, darling. We assume that you still have no jobs, so we're completely cutting you off from your monthly allowance, but we did put a little extra cash in your Christmas gift to help you get through your transition, you know, being in your late 30s and all. Goodbye, ta-ta. Merry Christmas and all. Crystal, it turns out, uh, goes downstairs to get the mail, and it is a check uh, from her parents that is conveniently $10,000. Right. Derek arrives at the soup kitchen, and he gathers everybody around to be like, hey, everybody got a big announcement, you know? Uh, how today that we're all uh, feeding the homeless and doing good stuff and mm -hmm. cooking and yes. cleaning and yeah. and really having a good time and feeling good about uh, all the things that we bring to this community. Yeah, well, especially because it's Christmas time. That's when we feel extra special about the holidays and doing good and helping people. Go on, Derek. Yeah, so about that, uh, yeah, we're, we're closing up at midnight and all of the hopes and dreams. Having a, we're going to have a party for all of us. Is that what you're saying, Derek? Uh, no, no. It's just going to be me uh, sitting alone in the dark room drinking because like it's a surprise a, party and then we all come in and you say surprise and then we have the party yeah except it's more like surprise we're a 
evicted. You know, that's the big surprise. Uh, so not as much fun, and there's no cakes. It's it's mostly uh, what we got left over of that eggnog that Crystal made the other night. Um, we got some of that. We're gonna drink what's left, and if I if I am still alive. After we drink all of that, then I guess we'll figure it out. But I'm really rolling the dice on this taking me right out. I think if I'm still alive after that, I'm going to start siphoning gas out of the plow and uh, give that a couple of glugs. I'm hoping I don't see the next new year. Yeah. Who here wants to take care of Olivia? Guess who's not seeing 2021 and has two (laughs) thumbs? This Canadian, you know? Oh, he goes home. And he pauses in his truck, just weary and broken as an individual. Just stops for a second, drags ass into his house, uh-huh. grabs a beer out of the fridge. Another beer. <laughs> we are a half step away from him in a recliner and jerking off. But his <laughs> daughter comes downstairs to interrupt this plan and is like, look, Dad, it's the the totally new gift that Crystal gave me. She even had her name embroidered here on the back. There was a note inside that said, remember how much I love you and how much like a mother I am and you should call me right away. And Derek is like, nope, nope, listen, I'm going to stop you right there. First of all, I'm a little drunk, so I'm going to be making a lot of crazy decisions from here on out. Also, it turns out she lied to us and I don't think that uh, we we should pay her no more attention. Olivia's like, but I, I love Crystal. And Derek's like, look, it's complicated. You just wouldn't understand it with your kid brain. You got to have a smart head like me that can operate that plan. Although, I got to tell you, kid, after seeing Crystal do it, I'm starting to have some questions about whether or not that's as hard as I thought it was. Yeah, and I need you to not call her anytime soon. There's a restraining order that I got pending that might, you know, kind of muck things up in the courts there, sweetheart. Yeah, it turns out if you invite her over, did the whole thing's null and void, and I don't need that headache again. <laughs> Olivia says, but I like her. You don't give anybody a second chance. I hate you, Dad. Thump, 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 thunk. And then Crystal's out just roaming the streets for her next victim. She's walking around those stores that the movie started out with and she goes past a homeless person on the street and crystal does not give this person a second look all it does is remind her of another plan that she can throw in motion and you're right she sees this homeless person and the first thing she thinks is ah yes a plan b it is it's a homeless person holding out a hat begging for food and money and she's like thank you homeless person you have found an escape route for me to get out of the pinch in which i find myself good luck on this christmas eve night it was stunning no she just hails a taxi and off she goes how on earth nobody on this set was like hey give her a couple of bucks yeah before you get out of this shot 20 bucks something take her with you you in fact where she's going is to a soup kitchen where she could feed her food yeah it's fucking nuts and so then derek is asking olivia to come out of her room and get some dinner she opens the door long enough to shove this goddamn flute in his face and like get out of here and he's like hey all right uh look i gotta go to the shelter so you know don't run away or nothing dear little girl we cut to the soup kitchen where crystal gets out of the cab and the place is closed and then shopping cart frank slash addicted gambler frank he wanders up beside crystal this whole scene does not look like a safe place for a woman in her 30s to be at night by herself and frank says oh it's a shame a lot of folks gonna miss this place you know because they used to give out free food and all oh merry christmas and then crystal says francis if i can get this place open for christmas will you promise to come inside and prove to derek once and for all that i am capable of manipulating even the most stubborn of men such as yourself and it's like wait crystal knowing that frank is a chronic gambler she preys on his weakness and says let us make a bet francis if I get the soup kitchen back opened, you shall come inside 
and eat a meal with me and Derek. That's not a bet as much as it is a carny game that's impossible to win because Crystal knows damn full and well that she's going to take the 10 grand and pay off the soup kitchen's debt. It's like a lawyer. Like you don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to. <laughs> I mean, not since Rebecca DeMornay pulled the rug out from under Ernie Hudson in the hand that rocks the cradle has a character so <laughs> manipulated another in a movie. You're right. The praying on weakness, it blew my mind. Like a hit fast on the heels of <laughs> fuck this homeless lady going straight to Yes, yes, you will serve my plans perfectly, Francis. Oh my god. It's so good. And then Derek is watching a hockey game, of course, <laughs> before dinner. Hey, look, uh, the Leafs are playing. I ain't going to miss that. I mean, I might be getting married and all today, but it's the Leafs. I mean, what are, what are we going to do? He uh, heads to dinner, but Olivia, of course, uh, won't come out of her room to say goodbye. He goes to dinner and Jillian is really taking Crystal for a ride. She's like, can you believe that fucking bitch lied to you like? Like that what a nutbag am i right and you you stupid ass almost fell for it yeah she says she might have been a stalker yeah or a femme fatale and i'm like like, like the, jillian that you can get rid of might have been a stalker she was a stalker yeah and she's like look i'm gonna run to the bathroom and give you a nice look at the ass that i've been working on for the past eight months i think you're gonna enjoy it she kisses him and gives him a little poop on the nose yeah it's playful it's sweet she does not come across as an unreasonable harpy of a woman that he should not be marrying right and so derek is pondering this proposal and as a romantic song starts to play chad crystal is watching people ice skate at night as she's waiting for her plan to come to fruition like she set all this in motion i think she's watching those ice skating people she's like look at them out there are any of them single fathers with daughters that could be easily manipulated i take the same plan and i apply it to a couple of other <laughs> Oh, I'm not saying she's not scouting a couple of other potentials, but also she understands that these sort of plot grenades that she has set up are just like, yes, first, Olivia must be desperate. She must leave the house stricken with grief that this surrogate mother has suddenly been taken from her. Meanwhile, Derek will go to the soup kitchen and discover that his beloved kitchen isn't quite so evicted as he first thought. And then they will find me here. So I think there's an element of that, like this could still work her evil scheme but also look at that one is he single or is he drunk um either way i have his license plate he shall be my new year's resolution i'll add him to the files and so Derek escorts Jillian to her car and it's clear that he did not propose. Right. And so he takes off in his truck while Crystal is wandering away from the ice rink and toward the Christmas tree. Then this is where Derek goes by the soup kitchen and he's staring at the clothes sign, but then all of a sudden Christmas lights come on inside. Right. And so confused, he's like, hey, dear, that shouldn't be happening. And so he goes inside and Pete and a bunch of others are bringing groceries in. And Pete's not wearing pink for the first time. Uh, he's like, hey, what's going on here? And Pete's like, hey, somebody. Somebody paid all the back rent. Oh, who was that? And Pete goes, look, it was someone who cares about the place as much as you. Someone you used to care about before you jumped to conclusions. Someone you've known for about six days who's a sociopath, an unemployed dingbat. Someone who has long hair. Someone who farts when she laughs. Someone who can fit her whole fist in your mouth and she won't stop doing it until you acknowledge that she did it. Someone who needs a real man. A real man. I'm gonna say it. I like boobies. <laughs> It feels so good to say it out loud. 
And Pete then says, say, how did you meet your wife, Laura, anyway? That hot piece of ass. There, I said it. That's a real funny story there. I was, uh, I was at a hockey game, and I was getting a couple of beers, and uh, she, uh, Laura comes walking up, and I'm like, ooh, she's a hot one. And uh, I just let her uh, cut in line of me there. See, that was fate. Just like if your daughter had never sent that letter and that crazy woman hadn't read it and then decided to stalk your family. If her parents hadn't decided to throw her out on her ass. If she hadn't pretended to care about homeless people. If she hadn't talked shit in front of your girlfriend Jillian. None of this ever would have happened and you never would have met her. And that's called fate or felonious. And Derek is just like, boy, you're just using a whole lot of words, Derek. It's got my head spinning some. Maybe you're right about this. I don't, I, I just got to get home. So he takes off uh, for the house. And when he gets there, he finds out that Olivia has gone uh-huh. and has used the old stuffed animals under the blankets trick to pretend <laughs> that she was in bed. And Derek is like, oh no, my daughter's gone missing. And I've been kind of drinking. Oh shit. This is not going to look good when I got to talk to the RCMPs. And <laughs> so Crystal is wandering towards the christmas tree in town and she's like all right stupid christmas tree it's just you and me here i wish oh this is so stupid i wish you know what i am not making a wish you know why because no man is just suddenly going to be under my tree in the morning in a big red bow it's a total like jinx confession where she's like oh happy new year in prison crystal because i'm going to kill them all now i guess her and me i'm going to burn his house to the ground and then i shall go in the back dig up the bones of his previously betrothed and pin the entire crime on her (laughs) they will think she had not been killed but had been lying in wait for someone such as myself to show up to steal them away from her dead memory yes the plan is coming together nicely crystal it's coming together nicely then she hears right and she gets a little shiver of pleasure and she's like oh children's tears whose are those it turns out it's olivia and she's like i ran away from home i wrote a letter to to santa crystal is like oh i know santa brought that letter to me child Derek comes around the corner uh-huh. and sees this mentally unstable stalker sitting on a bench with his daughter who disappeared in the middle of the night. Right. And the fact that the first words out of his mouth weren't, Olivia, get away from her, is stunning. <laughs> I know. I know, right? <laughs> Crystal goes on to explain, I found your letter, child. I was walking. It floated into my path. I opened it, and I concocted this ruse to interject myself into your family to become your new mother, whether your father liked it or not. And Derek chimes in, and that's exactly how Santa Claus planned it, dear Olivia. That's uh, that's how Santa works his magic through through stalking and terrorization. <laughs> and when Olivia runs over to hug him, he gives her a real De Niro, like, you, you, you ran away, you. And then Derek is like, listen, dear Crystal, I really got to thank you. I, I do think that all of this was fate. Uh, old gay Pete there, he, he told me that uh, I had forgotten that for a while. And now here you are, you know, uh, you found my daughter just like you were supposed to or I, were you following her it's really hard to tell my head's all spinning yep. yeah funny thing about that uh gay pete he likes boobies now so you might want to cover up when you go in the kitchen and then uh listen i hope it's not too late to listen to my heart here because my heart is saying you should open your home to this nutbag and i'm i'm kind of inclined to go along with it i also don't want to gloss over the fact you gave me ten thousand dollars and that buys a lot of love in my book i gotta ask you are you gonna be able to get another ten grand in about uh, uh about eight nine months 
because I am so bad with money. Like, we're caught up now, but uh, I still got no plan to keep this place fluid. Yeah, I'm paying people to plow their parking lots. The math on that isn't working up at all. Look, I am just not a businessman. I should never have done this. They hug it and whatnot, and then we go to Christmas at the shelter. Pete is serving food. Frank arrives outside, and Crystal is like, Ah, yes, the cherry on top of my plan has arrived. Come in, Francis. And she goes to the door to meet him, and he's like, Well, bet's a goddamn bet. And he comes inside for dinner, and Derek is like, Oh, boy, I never would have thought that guy would come in here. Boy, that really cemented it. Crystal, I tell you what, I thought uh, I thought that you were something, but uh, now I love you yeah i do i said i said it there and then music plays and that's kind of done crystal's plan is a complete success it is it's like one of the rare movies where the villain wins i was secretly hoping that we were going to get some cannonball run-esque postscript where a little box would slide in and it would be jillian getting a phone call from Derek explaining that it was over and just her losing her mind and then her getting a gun and heading out into the winter night to kill all of them hey uh you know that girl that uh i've known for exactly 96 hours yeah crystal yeah i went ahead and proposed you what so uh yeah we're getting married now she's uh she's gonna be the new mother we just got married at the soup kitchen turns out that uh frank the shopping cart guy he's an ordained priest so we're married now <laughs> i'll tell you what if you still want to come by every now and again and make us some brunch that'd be great but uh you know knock before you come because uh we're gonna be doing a, a bunch of fucking pretty soon i don't know if you got to look at her but uh she's got a pretty good caboose so uh anyway thanks for all those years uh you know taking care of me and being there when my wife died and <laughs> kind of holding my family together there that was uh, uh that was a good thing of you to do so uh you know uh, uh best of luck best wishes and whatnot uh we'll we'll talk to you uh, i guess uh thanksgiving can't say we'll have a spot for you at the table but we'll definitely drop you a line <laughs> the end yeah and that is the disturbing holiday classic from the lifetime network dear santa that's that's what the fans asked for chad that's what we gave them <laughs> that movie it's bananas the turns at first it's like okay well yeah if you have a certain read of this movie i suppose but like like we talked about that one two punch of fuck this homeless lady and now let me <laughs> manipulate this guy's gambling habit that's a tough one two to come back for for a heroine of a lifetime movie i still submit that if you're not paying real close attention this is dressed up in all of the trappings of a lifetime and even more so a hallmark movie i mean it has a heck of a lot more in common with a very nutty christmas than grumpy cat's worst christmas ever absolutely but if you're halfway paying attention you will find your head constantly at a 45 degree angle at a state of perplexed confusion of like what she's doing is horrible like yeah it is to quote digital underground as we like to do around here it's about as convincing as a preacher that smokes reefer right it has all the trappings <laughs> of a christmas movie but it is secretly a movie about a woman who successfully insinuates herself into a family. It's what if the hand that rocks the cradle had ended with Rebecca De Mornay getting rid of Annabelle Soyoria and just shacking up with the husband and kid. So, speaking of crazy families... Yes! Would you care to introduce what one should expect for episode four of this season's theme, Once in a Lifetime? As we move into a new year, we are saying goodbye to the holidays and we are going to usher in a trio of Lifetime movies that are... As disturbing as Lifetime can possibly get. Now that the holidays are done and we had the light fair. And this is why Dear Santa is a nice bridge between. 
yes, it doesn't seem like stalking and all the dark stuff is front and center for Dear Santa. But when we come to our next episode, Petals in the Wind, that is all going to change. Petals in the Wind is the sequel to the VCU Andrews novel, Flowers in the Attic. It is the second of three or four films. I can't remember how many. I've watched them all at this point. Of the adaptation of the saga of the Dollenganger family, I think is their name. The first film, of course, is about a mother who returns home with her children after her husband has died. She is going to be penniless, so she returns to her rich family as part of her concessions to once more get into the family's good graces and get their money. She allows her children to be hidden in an attic. Eventually, this goes on for several years, and the elder brother and sister end up fucking. And then they, one of the kids dies, and then the others escape. Gross. And so, Petals in the Wind picks up from there. That is the end of Flowers in the Attic. Petals in the Wind is the continuing adventures of a brother and sister who once did it and are now trying not to do it again. So come back and see <laughs> In two weeks' time, as we ring in the new year with incest and probably more dead kids and yeah. deviant behavior, I watched that first one. I didn't know anything about it, so it was a real shocker. From what I've heard from you, that this upcoming movie is taken up a peg or two. Yes. Things get wackier in a way that appeals to me. You know the kind of person I am. I know. And every now and again, man, some schlock will come along that's like, th this is equal parts stupid and trashy, and I love them both equally. Yeah, there's always one movie every season that you pick that is out there, and I've got a feeling this is going to be it. <laughs> Yeah, but it was really popular. They made a bunch of these, Shad. It, like, a lot of people saw this. The, uh, anyway, we'll talk about it all on the next episode. All right. But, oh my god, it, it's V.C. Andrews craziness all next episode. It is going to be front to back, pre-to-pubescent girls weirdo fantasies. Well, I'm just going to leave it at that. We want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast over not just this year, but the, the years that we've been doing it. As always, you can reach us at pick six movies at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line we're floating around social media we love to hear from you as always we appreciate any reviews you can give us any feedback or if you have recommendations or suggestions for upcoming seasons we are currently working on our slate for 2021 so let us know what you want to hear let us know what you like we will take all of that and do our best to continue to deliver terrible movie reviews going into a brand new year Bo as always any final thoughts on Dear Sam not on dear santa just a merry christmas and happy holidays to everyone thanks for listening i think the coming year we've already got some really great dumb stuff planned and i'm very excited so thanks have the happiest and safest of holidays and, and we'll see you on the other side we'll see you in 2021